Un. Mama. Mama. We made it. Bang, bang, bang. bang, bang. What it, what it, what it do da. <laughs> Ladies and motherfucking gentlemen, it's about time to get your two-step on. We got my brother from another mother, and she Asian. And he got so much persuasion. <laughs> Infinite relation. Woo! My brother J.D. McElroy has blessed us with the podcast. J.D., what up, motherfucking What up, up, what up, what up? What's going on? What's going on? Yo, everything, dog. Hey, I want to tell you, first and foremost, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Um, I was very flattered and flabbergasted. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> <That> you- <laughs> That you hit me and wanted to come on, and, and, and it's such a beautiful thing that, that, especially for homies that you're very close to, to, to come on and, and really, um, you know, go through the story because this culture is so special. When you think about dance, life, entertainment, music, arts, the creative pathways, all of these things are built upon functions, right? You dance well, you sing well, you're 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 a good talent representative, whatever, what have you. Um, but the the real beauty comes in the form, um, and I really have been more and more lately been thinking of how, you know, the concept of vulnerability is really going to set this world free, yeah. because so many of us um, put on a smile, but there's there's an infinite story behind it, uh, which is why I really feel like this platform uh, is becoming something very beautiful, and I'm very 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 honored to have you, JD. Welcome to the Mama We Made It podcast. Welcome. Man, thank, thank you guys you. for having me. Thank you for allowing me to come out here and just, you know, share my story, talk about what I do to the people. You, you know? It's a fucking beautiful thing, and I'm glad you're here with us. Now, I want to jump right into it because we touched on um, something very deep uh, and unique about your story coming up. Uh, you were raised in Colorado. Yeah, um, but Boulder, Colorado, three hundred three. Shout out to Boulder. I love you know that I mean? city. Lightweight. Yeah. I love that now, city. I've never been. I've never. But Bo- I heard it. Boulder is. Boulder. Oh, it's amazing. Lit. Boulder yeah. is fucking lit. And now everybody's high in Colorado. Oh, yeah. Like even when I went in oh nine, <laughs> dog, everybody was high. But like now everybody's high in Colorado. You got to understand from Colorado. What happened was in, in the 70s, all these cats from San Francisco came out to see you and were like, "Oh, this is this is the place I want to wow. be." And so they all really? stayed. And so that's why Colorado, especially Boulder, has like a lot of money. But at the same time, it's like all these hippie kids. Mm. So there's a lot of weed. There's a lot yes. of like that open to life kind of world, especially like that hippie vibe. People want to do yoga. Eat it healthy. makes so much sense now because yeah. the Bay is like the, 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 the oracle, like pun intended, of you fucking did. like that forward thinking progressive mentality, especially during that time. Let's talk about your upbringing, dog. Like, what what was that like for you? What, where where were you born? What? Um, yeah. So I was born in Seoul, Korea. Actually, I was born in Korea, oh. and uh, I was born in the early '80s. And uh, my story kind of has a twist to it. I was uh, left on a doorstep when I was two and a half. Shut the fuck up. So in in Korea, you know, at that time, especially like the late '70s, early early '80s, there was a influx of adopted kids. Um, out of Korea and Vietnam. Really? Especially out of the Vietnam War. What was that? Uh, it was just the Vietnam War. There was, you know, Korean culture and, and kids being married and having kids out of wedlock and all of that just kind of is against the culture and kind of what 
people mm-hmm. believed in yeah. for that. And so if you were a product of that, then, you know, more than likely you were going to be adopted, put in an orphanage. Wow. And so no in the crazy. early or late seventies, uh, for the first time, America did this thing where you didn't have to fly to Korea or Vietnam to pick a child. You could actually do it. And they had an agency that would find you a kid wow. and then they'd fly them out. And then you just meet them at the airport. So it was like oh, kind of like a a mailing, a mailing delivery service for kids. And what's crazy is this like pre-internet. So like you're manually doing those like calls. Wow. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So I was actually, I came through a company called FCVN, which is Friends of Families of uh, the Vietnam Nation. But it turned into various nations later on wow. because Koreans became a very popular uh commodity at that time wow. you know yeah. it was the it was the african children in the 90s and early 2000s wow. and nowadays so. it's russian mail order brides back then it was korean kids but yeah so uh you know i was left on doorstep at two and a half and then uh my parents adopted me came over here and went from there wow. you know what was what? that were you of an age where your parents just told you or what was that like for what 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 race were your parents so my parents are Irish. That's why I got the McElroy. So I tell people all the time, I'm the, I'm the Korean JD Irish. J.D. McElroy. <laughs> That's John David. The funny part is I was almost a Larry. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I, I don't think I can picture you as Larry. So, so you know, <laughs> you got Larry Bird. I, I'm you got Larry Bird that's I'm real big at that time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I, was, I could have been Larry. Could have been Larry Love. You know what I mean? I have respect. I, 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 Dude, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at the Larry at all. I could have been Larry Mack, you know what I mean? Larry Mack. Yo. LM, Yo. baby. <laughs> I'm not mad at the Larry, dude. But um, no, I ended up I ended up JD and uh, John David and then McElroy just was the last name. Wow. Yeah. Did you, did, were you aware of it? Like, what? Like, I mean, uh, first of all, I mean, Boulder, Colorado is probably the whitest. Yeah. Not the whitest, but it's up there. I mean, yeah. it, it was, it's like 99.3% white. <laughs> So that's almost there. You shout know what I mean? The, shout out and, to the point uh, seven non-whites. <laughs> and uh, so growing up is one of those things where very quickly, anytime you looked in the mirror and you realized that you didn't look like anybody else, not just in your family, but anybody else anywhere all the time, you knew that there was something going on. You were different. It was almost like the stork story was real. Wow. You know what I mean? It wasn't like what you heard as like a normal that's your mom and dad. It was like, who are these people? Wow. <laughs> that, that's, that's so interesting from like an adoption perspective because um, there's a lot of adopted kids who actually don't find out till way later in life and they never know because, you know, maybe they look like their parents or they're the same race or yeah. things like you being adopted by Irish parents. Yeah, there's, there's a little different in you guys' look. Yeah. Just a little bit. So <laughs> that, that must have been a whole different like perspective for you um, in being an adopted kid. Yeah, I mean, I mean, more than anything, I think growing up on the playground and, and being around different people. I mean, back home, my parents, my parents are amazing. You know what I mean? They're super loving. They wanted the best uh, for me. Did you have brothers and, and sisters? I have a brother and two sisters. So my mom and dad actually had my, my sister, and then my mom wasn't able to have kids anymore. And they wanted more kids. And so I came first and I'm the youngest of the bunch. Wow. And then my sister came. She came actually when she was 13. Wow. She's half black, half Korean. Wow. And I was probably four, maybe five when she came. That's beautiful. And then my brother came when I was eight. He was nine and he was last. So the age or the, 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 the way that it goes chronologically is I'm the youngest. My brother 
my sister who my parents had and then my adopted sister is the oldest. But in the order of who came first, it would have been my sister Molly came first, Mm -hmm. then I came, then my sister, then my brother. So we're kind of like, there's no like real, like who's the youngest, who's the oldest? Because the reality is, is I was the first one here, (laughs) (laughs) but I was also the baby. You know what I mean? So there's an interesting kind of like dynamic to that as far as like the, you know, when people ask you like, oh, so you have an older brother. It's like, yeah, but he's kind of like my little brother right now. Follow me. around. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like with my older sister, it's like, oh, you have an older sister. I was like, yeah, but she has to sit and watch Sesame Street because that's how she's going to learn English. So I'd be sitting at home watching, you know, Sesame Street Mm. because that's what you got to watch when you're a little kid. And then she's sitting there watching it and coming from Korea at, you know, 12, 13 years old, having to learn a new language. You know, Mm. she got to learn the ABCs all over again, like on Sesame Street, like she was my age. So it's like that halfway older brother, but still the youngest. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? It's like, there's so much, so much, so much going on. And then at the same time, like not even to mention the, my side of the stuff is I have a sister who came first and she's my parents, biological child that has to deal with these three new kids that are in the family that are, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of, a lot of movements going on. In how, this how, how was that dynamic? Uh, I mean, I think the hardest time of that period was that there was no playbook for this. There was not a lot of adopted kids. There weren't a lot of books out there. There weren't a lot of, I mean, there was no YouTube. There were no information. You know what I mean? And so it was really the best anybody could do. Mm. And, you know, nobody's family's perfect. Everybody goes through their shit. And, you know, we just had a just different dynamic to it all, having to kind of figure out who got what, who was kind of put where, you know, why... I, it just was a different dynamic. And, um, you know, my parents did everything that they knew how. And not every time was it right. But whose parents, you know, who 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 does it right ever nobody. the first time? Oh, so I for think it's them, a, it's amazing by your parents. Like. You know, what they did and how they are and what they, you know, were going for. Like, they did everything they could. I just think that there wasn't enough information at that time mm. to really help, like, the psyche of us at that age mm. of wow. what we would all go through and how it would also affect us later on in life. Absolutely. You what, know? what was what was growing up as, as a kid, like like John David in elementary school, like, what? how was that? Um, like, what, 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 were your, what were your thoughts? Like, you know, take us through, like, kind of the mindset because, like, as you start getting... A little older, you're, you're able to uh, start putting ideas together and start realizing things more. Yeah. You're going to school, you're, you're starting to learn things, and then, you know, things are coming in your head. You're putting things together more. Your your Asian-ness, your Korean-ness is becoming more pronounced. Yeah. Right? So, like, questions are arising. You're, you're a part of the 0.7% of, <laughs> of non-white in, in Boulder. Like, how, how was that for you growing up? When you're part of the 0.7, you start to hang out with the 0.7. Oh. Facts. You know, um, I became, you know, a lot of my closest friends just growing up at that time period, they were black and Mexican. Mm. You know, that's just what it was. I felt closest to them. They looked the closest to me. And at the end of the day, like, they were the ones that wanted to hang with me on the playground. Mm. So I got closer to that side of it. But, um, you know, I, it, it's interesting because, like, you know, you go to these uh, after school programs and these, like, you know, school things. My neighbor, who I grew up with, same age, our birthdays are like five days apart. Wow. You know, he's a little white, half Jewish kid, you know, and, and that, was, that was my buddy just growing up before school. Mm-hmm. But I know, you know, middle school <laughs> and elementary school, we definitely drifted to different 
directions as as a lot of kids yeah. do. Which is interesting because like you grew up with you know white parents and a white sister. So did you ever feel like you you related to that as an identity too? Like being from like two years old to that growing up. Um, I think. I think there probably was a time when I was really, really young that I kind of might have been like, oh, this is just all I know. So mm-hmm. this is family. Mm-hmm. But then as the real world starts to kick in, you start to distance yourself from that because it becomes unknown. Mm-hmm. So really? I think there was a younger part of me that at a very younger age that was more innocent, that just kind of understood and was feeling compassion and love. And because of the surrounding that I was in and because of the way that I was bullied and was treated and wasn't able to kind of feel that they understood what I was going through, there became a disconnect. And so I feel like it started off really, really well. And then slowly for me mentally, it became harder and harder to connect with them because they less and less understood what I was going through. How old were you? Like what grade were you in when you started like feeling this? Uh, I definitely remember third, fourth grade, you know, definitely on the playgrounds, a lot of fights, a lot of times like it would it would be fights that everybody say I started, but it wasn't me. And everybody was like, JD's the one with the issue. JD's the one with the attitude. JD's the one with the problem. It's and, just because JD was different. But it was because JD was different. It's weird so that society puts that definition Bro, on kids you. are ruthless. Bro. Kids are ruthless. They are. It's insane. Like when you think of the, 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 the dichotomy of the fact that, the dichotomy of the fact that, yeah, um, that, children's minds are the most open and like you look at a child's mind and it truly is a mind of a genius because it's clear right it's 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 pure until all the information gets poured in whether it's from society or experience or whatever but at the same time like there's something about us when we're kids that it's just like motherfuckers are ruthless dog like you think about it now, and it's crazy to think how like the nature versus nurture scenario works. Because some people, when you when you're put into that, like whether it's they're doing or not, like get changed forever as a child because of the ruthlessness of kids, bro. It's insane to me. Yo, and what made it worse? I had a lazy eye, oh, and wow. so you know, my parents. At really, I'm glad they did this then. But I had a patch for like eight months. Wow. So basically what, what the doctors do is they put a patch on your strong eye so your bad eye can become strengthened, mm. right? So I had to wear a patch for like eight months. I didn't and know that's how it worked. After that, you have to wear glasses so both eyes become strong together where it's not one is stronger than the other. Wow. So then I had to wear glasses for another year. So I'm like the Asian kid, one with a patch, two <laughs> then come back with glasses. It was like... <laughs> Man, you were a target. Man, for I was yeah. an easy target, and I was a little chunky too. Oof. Husky medium, husky medium, before husky medium, <laughs> husky medium with the eye patch. Man, that, that's tough. So, what but. was it, what, what, what was that like for you getting in a lot of fights? Obviously, the, the 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 school was calling moms and dads. Obviously, moms and dads were like. I mean, the thing about it was like my personality has always been, you know, very high spirited, always how going. You know, good times, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I always got, like, the best reaction from teachers always telling me, you know, he's a pleasure to have in class. He's a clown. Everybody yeah. everybody laughs at him. But it was always, like, the the after-school situations or, like, the recess situations that got me into a little bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. And so I think my parents at that time, the, 
all he really knew how to do. And I think especially kids in like the eighties when therapy became, you know, ADD, ADHD, all these things that, yeah, it became such a hot, like everybody was doing it that it was just one of those things. It was easy to do. Like, Oh, my parent, my, you know, my son's going through some things. He needs to go therapy. He needs, you know, put him on some Ritalin, some Adderall, some all that shit and (laughs) let him do what he needs to do. But the, the psyche outside of it was, it wasn't like, a normal everyday uh, thing that I was just like not focused or whatever, whatever. It was just I was getting picked on. I was just you bullied. Were picked on. You were acting out, and then they thought that it they they, they prescribed medicine for it. Yeah, and it wasn't cowbell. You know, it was. It it's was insane therapy. because like when I was a younger kid, I, I used to be rambunctious, but I was always a good student. Um, and there was a time where. The teachers and the, and, the, and, the, and the principal brought me and my parents in and said, you know, Anusha's an incredible student. He's very gifted, but, like, he's, he's, he's causing a lot of trouble for all the other kids because he's just bored in class. So you're either going to have to move him up a grade or put him on Ritalin. And my parents, thank God for them, were like, no, that's your job to figure out. Yeah. He's staying with his friends. And if you think about putting him on any fucking medicine, I'm gonna sue the fuck out of you, right? And and I and I thank God for that because it's like, you know, who knows what would have happened? Then. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the, to have the foresight for that. Going into, so you're you're a young little rambunctious kid. You're good at school. You're getting picked on, and you're stuck in a system that's like very uh, diagnosis happy, and then you start you know, going to see a therapist. What was that like for you at that age? What was it like for a kid to, like, go go to therapy? What were you feeling like? Like, how how did that feel for you? Because also, deep down, and correct me if I'm wrong, did you feel like, what the fuck am I here for? This Like, this isn't... Yeah, I mean, you know, at that time, therapy was considered crazy. You know, if you told your friends that you were in therapy, you were like, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. It's, it's still you know what I mean? There's still, still, I mean, yeah, there's still, there's still that less, stigma, but, sure. like, even back, even back then... I'm sure, I mean, as a kid, it's like, oh, what's, yeah, what's yeah, wrong with like him? Like, you should be a kid. You should be happy. And so a lot of it, you know, I think, I, I definitely remember, like, the beginning days when I was in therapy. It was just, like, I would sit there and just sit there for an hour and be wow. like, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> like, wow. you know what I mean? And and for a long time. And then it became, it became fun. Like, uh, let's play a game. And then just sit there and play Uno for an hour and be like. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, it, it was that, I mean, granted, like, fast forward in life, like, I was in therapy up until, like, 27, 28. Wow. You know what I mean? And so I didn't really actually start doing therapy until, like, 22. Mm. Wow. But I was so in it was, therapy. it was passing the time for I that was long? Just, man, through high school, through all that stuff, I was just, I was just going through the motions. You know mm. what I mean? And a lot of it was, like, I knew in, in middle school is, when I started running with the tough crowd, cause that was, I looked more like the tough crowd. And so I was like, let me join the tough crowd. Got myself in some trouble. And then middle school, high school, same thing. But that's when I started dancing. I played sports a lot. Um, I was like really good at sports, but didn't love it. Yeah. Dances was the first time that like, I. when, when did you first start dancing? Um, and how, how did dancing even come into your world? Cause like, I feel like even in that time, like it was dance something like normal nah. for a kid to, Nah, boys didn't dance. Then. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, 
<laughs> the first story is funny. So, like, obviously, like, during that time period, like, I wasn't ever looked at as the cute kid. I was, you know, the little Asian kid that was like, whatever. And I had a friend that was like, yo, I'm going to this underage nightclub. And at the time in Colorado, and they, they always have them, 15. But they had them, it was like 16, and if you were over 21, you couldn't get in. Mm. And so they were like, yo, you're 15. But all they do is they just look at you and say, okay, you're good to go. And if they think you're too young, they'll be like, oh, we need a note from your parents. <laughs> wow. And so everybody, like nobody write like- Write their own yeah, notes. Write right? their own right? notes. Yeah. Crazy? And, yeah, and the easy. thing was this, if you were smart enough to do that, then you were cool enough to get in the club. Yes. Right? Right. And if you weren't smart enough and you're like, oh, man, I don't yeah, know, they're like, get, get out of here, bro, Come right? <laughs> And so I went to this club and I like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just started like mimicking whatever I saw from like, you know, whenever I watch MTV, BET, whatever. And then what the kids were doing in the club. And the next thing I knew, like two girls were like, yo, you can dance. Got the numbers. So I left that night with like three numbers in my pocket and just confidence out of the, you know, like never even had a girl come up to me and talk to me. And all of a sudden girls are coming up and they're like, ooh, you cute. You, you dance? You, you, you little Asian persuasion dancing <laughs> motherfucker. You're like, oh, word. So he was a chocolate covered strawberry dog. All of a sudden, it was like, man, I, I want to dance some more. I want to I wanna be here wow. every weekend. I'm coming back to this club. I'm getting numbers and I'm going to start, I'm going to start doing this. So that, so that was, that was your outlet. That too. was, that was the first time. I mean, really, that was the first time I ever had like real confidence from the opposite sex where I was like, I could walk into a room and dance in front of you and have a pretty good chance that you're going to smile back or incredible. You know what I mean? And, and Cause bro, being able to dance is like, it's one of those things that like, it's funny that boys don't dance, but it's one of those things where it's like, if you can dance, you're looked at like a unicorn dog. Cause dancing, well, not now, but back then. Yeah. But even, <laughs> even now dog, what, what do look, what dudes have confidence to roll up into a club that aren't dancers, right? And like, just like get it. Even if you two stepping, a lot of dudes are just like so in the fucking like. Yeah. Let me move side to side. No, it's kind of <laughs> like a secret weapon. Like, dude, you show up at any wedding, <coughs> any event. Oh yeah. And then you could just t- like you're like, oh shit. For real, it's it's a huge confidence. Like to yeah. be able to dance in front of people that takes confidence. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And like for you, it was like, damn, like I'm starting to get attention for the females. I'm at the age where the females are really starting to like catch my attention. Yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy um, how much that can drive you. Bro. Like, to, to do something. Just like female attention or just like that sexual attention of just like. At that age too? Whoo, you know you, what I mean? You a dog in heat at that age. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild how much that, that motivates you and, and puts you on a different tra- uh, trajectory. Did you, when did you start really taking dance seriously? Um, I mean, it was it was for fun. I, and and the thing was like uh, the same dude that took me to that club. He was he was taking dance class and stuff like that. And he was like, "Yo, this girl, she's coming in from San Francisco. She's like kind of like a doper uh, choreographer. She's gonna teach these classes, um, like an intermediate one and an advanced one." And he was like, "Yo, come take this intermediate one with me." And I remember her name was Lorianne Hein, and she was out Lorianne. of the bay, right? Yeah. I went and took the class. I hated it. it was like the wow. worst student wow. there. Everybody else picked up. I couldn't pick up choreography. Everybody else wow. picked it up so fast, and I was like in the back, like, well, so I don't know what I'm doing, right? Like, yeah. And so I was like, dude, I'm never taking like hip hop dance. I'm never taking dance class again. Wow. And so I was like, I'm gonna just stick to the clubs. This, this is cool. And at the time, I was still playing sports, so it was like, just what sports you know, you shot your confidence. Uh, I played basketball and I ran track. Got it. And so, um, you know, I was just just I'm dancing to have a good time and like you know and so 
it was probably like a few months later he was like yo we're gonna do this like after school thing my boy has a warehouse we're just gonna go and it's not a class it's just everybody just can go trade moves it's just like a you know good time gathering and so i was like all right let's do that so i went to that and it was like a bunch of b-boys and then a couple girls and then a couple Mm -hmm. other dudes that were like you know just trying to do some cool shit you know and so i went there and then i was like this is I, I dig this. Like I'm down with this. It was just basically an open session. Mm. And uh the guy that ran that, he was from he was from the Bay, but uh had lived in LA a little bit and was kind of like the hot shit in L- uh, in Colorado at the time. And he was like, "Yo, I, I think I want to start like an after-school nonprofit and like wow. ha- open a studio up and, you know, have a place for kids to come and do what they need to do." But I would love for like each one of you guys and we're like the kind of the original ones, like mm-hmm. each one of you guys could like, you know, teach kids what you do, blah, 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 blah. And we'll just wow. make it like a little something, you know, you put the onus on y'all like and, ownership. Yeah. And so I was 100 percent down. And so <coughs> after school, you know, at the time, if you, you know, this is my sophomore year in high school, like is pretty much if you were on. I wasn't on varsity for basketball, but I ran track in the spring. Mm-hmm. And so we had to. Our practice was later, you know, the varsity all practice right after school. And then we had to come back two hours later for practice. Okay. So I would go there and teach these classes, these workshops, and then come back to practice. Wow. You know what I mean? Um, but that summer, he was like, yo, I'm sending, you know, my four of my top student kids. I think you guys should go to L.A. and just like take class. Just see what it's about. Oh, not even wow. like not even for anything. But I mean, you know, do some cool shit. <laughs> and so. Uh, the four of us, you know, it was, uh, two girls and me and this other guy, the same guy that brought me to the classes mm-hmm. and brought me to the studio. Um, we all came out to L.A. And I remember I took my first class. And How old were you when you came out to L.A.? I was just about to turn 16, so I was 15 or, still. Or. And these teachers were like, yo, you're dope. Mm. i never seen an Asian have style, have swag, but dance like you. But you're dope. So and so what, what was your dance of like choice at this time? Cause you had, like you said, you had breakers, maybe you like people um, pop and like, what was your, your style at the time? I mean, it's hard to say it was, it was just party style is whatever from like watching Usher and Genuine and oh, okay. you know, whatever was on TV. You had, Aaliyah. Good, yo, you had some good coaches back then. You know dog. what I mean? I mean, those were my, co- those are just from TV. No, watching. but like I'm yo. saying like you had some good, like people to look up to back in that day. Cause the, oh, yeah. that, that was like the era G. Yeah. Cause I mean, when you brought a breaking, like, that's a whole genre within, within itself. Oh, it's by, like yeah, for sure. Die hard in there. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I didn't like. Uh, I didn't like doing the whole getting on the ground and spinning around on my back and stuff like that. <laughs> I like standing up straight. Actually, really, I just like grinding on girls. Respect. So it was everything that was up there. If you were, if you were on the ground, you couldn't dance with a girl. Uh, you know what I mean? Like if I could show off. And what do, am I gonna be doing with a head? Do some cool slides and shit like that. Like, you know. Girls will dance upon you. You feel their butt against you, and you're like, "Hey, that's what else. you know what I mean." Hey, you spin it on the ground. No girls are putting their butt on you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whatever influences you, my man. Like it's all I good. I feel you. I respect it. Yeah. The husky medium Casanova in the building. Though. You know what I'm saying? With the other people, the two girls and, and your friend, were they kind of the same thing, or did they? Well, so the the two the the other dancers, they kind of grew up in like the jazz ballet type. They were like at mm. like the the big studios at the time it was like dance west was like the boulder studio to go to that wasn't ballet they just like jazz jazz funk whatever and so those girls they came from that studio and then jason he was at that that same studio 
And then myself was just kind of the freestyle random kid. It's kind of interesting. It's like similar with music. You know, some kids, like you grow up with piano lessons or violin lessons or you're like classically trained in the marching band or, or orchestra or whatever. And then you have like the play by ear type of people. You know, for you just getting your influence from there where you have more formally trained people. Did you see that? Was a was that a challenge for you? What, did you feel like you had anything to prove or was it just you had your own thing going on and that kind of almost just shaped you and made you different. Did, was it like more of an asset? I think at first it might've been like, my, yeah, definitely at first for me, it was like, I feel like a little inferior just because they all had a little bit of like a leg up on me. Mm. But I felt like my leg up on them was that I had like just style. It wasn't you like, free. you know what I mean? Like I, I just, it was one of those things. If I were, if you were to throw me in a circle, everybody would just watch me dance. Mm. And it wasn't like, oh, he has the greatest legs or he has a great turnout or he has, like, good technique. It was just, oh, this dude's fucking funky as shit. Like, I like watching him dance. Mm -hmm. And I think that was my leg up. But it took me a little while to understand that because it was always this, like, I would come into class and everybody else pick up choreography faster than me. Mm -hmm. Or they'd be a little bit cleaner with their lines or they'd all have, like, you know, a little bit more background technique than I did. Mm -hmm. And so I always <laughs> felt like, oh, man, I, I need that, I need that. But I didn't realize that what I had was the golden. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I had to keep... It took me a little bit of time to focus. And I think that first trip to L.A. really kind of gave me that confidence and understood that, like, you know, it wasn't necessarily that I was the best kid in class. You were in class but I had trained, something but... special that somebody people wanted to see more of. Yeah, and like they knew that, I, you know, it was like one of those things like you see a, a unpolished diamond and, you know, is great. They just need a little bit more polish to it. Yeah. That was kind of like me. I think a lot of the choreographers and the kids that were teaching the classes at that time, they were like, oh, this kid's dope. But he's not there yet. But I see where it is. And they would always, you know, that was a big thing when I came back. Did you back. get a lot more support for that kind of freestyle flow of dancing in L.A. than you did in Colorado? Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure, at that time period, especially, like, it was all about, like, individuality. They wanted mm. to see every dancer that was on that professional level was superstars in their own right. So it was like they wanted to see somebody come out and do the same five, six, seven, eight, but smash it in their own way. They wanted to see, like your name, who you were, your brand, everything, just you, and then dance next to this person. They had their own shit. They had their own shit. And everybody that was out there, it was never like we want 25 people that look all just like the same mm. 25 people. You know? Absolutely. So, Especially from, in an expressive world like that. Yeah. Individuality and like kind of what you stand for in your craft is, is, is so uh, appreciated. Yeah. Especially in that kind of media. That time. And, and, and sometimes when you're so trained or so by the book, it inhibits your creativity. Yeah, you're in a box. Because it's like, when you just have no rules and it's just pure, raw, like, expression, this is me, as imperfect as it may be, and it lives, at least gives you the ability to, like, be free and creative. Where yeah. if you're thinking about being super on point or fuck, I... The moves that you that, that move I, that, that should have been tighter. If you're thinking about that, because you know, like what perfection is, and you know, it kind of inhibits you to like be free and inventive and, and creative. So mm. there's that balance. I mean, I, I've seen it a lot in music where, like, I've seen classically trained piano players who can play just flawless, like Beethoven across the board, but they can't write a song. Yeah, like for the oh yeah at all. And then you have people that haven't taken a day of you know music theory who are just like brilliant songwriters and players like it. I mean, it can work both ways, but yeah. I, I imagine it's got to be the same with. Oh, it's so definitely the too. same with dance. That, that world is definitely, I mean, I, any art, anything that comes from, from that place that is the unknown, 
you know, it all, everything on that level is the same. Yeah, you that's know? the thing. It's, it's art. It's truly art. Yeah. Well, what was the kind of thing that separated you or what was the thing that got you over the inferiority complex? Like regardless of how long or how brief it was, because it seems like one of the common threads in the scenario being that, and, and the crazy shit is, is like you started dancing late. Yeah, I was a late right? bloomer. Late, but like your flow like got you there real quick. Like you were very unique. But what was it that got you through? Because I feel like so many kids these days, right? And I'm going to speak to that element like with them in mind, is that so many kids these days, being that we have so much access now, have all the information in front of them, right? But so much of what's in front of us is like, it's surface level. So if you're comparing yourself to the best that you see that somebody's putting out because they're not going to be like, hey, look at me, I'm putting out a mediocre video. Or hey, look at me, my lifestyle's mediocre, right? What was, what was that for you that got you over the, the inferiority? Was it just as simple as like you were just being shown love for your freestyle ability? So your inability to pick up moves as quick during that beginning period of time just faded or was it like you kind of had to fight with that within you? Because I feel like that moment in and of itself is a pivotal one, especially if you're going to become a beginner to an intermediate. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because if you feel like, uh, this just isn't for me, and there's nothing reinforcing that it could be, right, you're going to let it go. I think, okay, so for two parts of that. The first part was, for the first time in my life, I started to feel like J.D. McElroy. You know what I mean? What so mean my whole life, I was trying to find who I was, whether it was mm. through, like, friends, family, being Asian in an all-white community, not understanding, like, the essence of who I was. Mm. And for the first time with dance, dance actually gave me a place to say, I am. Wow. This is who I am. You know what I mean? This is J.D. This is McElroy. me. I'm, this is who I'm I am. You know David what I mean? Husky and so McElroy. for the first time in my life, I had that feeling of like I'm connected to something. I am wow, JD. So that beautiful. gave me another confidence. That gave me another boost. And that gave me this place to say, this is what I want to work on. This is how I want to get better. Holy fuck. Because That's now like, I know who I am. Yeah. And so that was a very, like that was a pivotal moment in my life because for the first time I started building confidence about myself. I started to connect with something other than people. I started wow. finding like myself in a bedroom just dancing because it felt right. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It felt good. So it, it's one thing to tell people like, these are like the steps you need to take. Or this was my defining moment. But a lot of that moment was me finding myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so the other part is I also grew up in a time period where the only outlet there was was television. Mm. So for me. And television, especially like MTV and all that was robust at this yeah. time. And but it was really music television. Yeah. yeah. With but even all that they accompanied it. Even yeah. more than that, it was just one dynamic of it. So I only got to see one side of everything. Mm. Whatever was on TV, that was the only side I got. Yeah. I didn't get the behind the scenes. I didn't get the what it meant to be the ten years that these people put in behind yeah. it. All mm. I got was what I saw on TV at that moment. And you aspired towards and that. You yeah. You saw something that you wanted to work hard to. But now, with all the information out now, it's easy to see a lot of things that are just there. I, if, I had the, if I had, for example, if I had uh, uh, 25 artists that I could watch 
back then. I have 25,000 artists I could watch now. You know what I mean? So it's like, for those 25 artists, you knew that those were the cream of the crop. That was the best of the best. And for me, I knew that for me to get to that place, I had to be in that top 25. But now, it's different. So it's like, my always what I tell kids, it's like, imagine if it was just you by yourself. You know what I mean? Imagine how hard you wanted to work if it was just you by yourself yeah. trying to get to the top by yourself and there's only one other person that you're racing against. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's the mentality difference that we had and that I had at that time period was mm-hmm. that there's nobody else. You know what I mean? I got to yeah. get there and for me to start to build that confidence and like, you know, when people keep, I mean, for me, a lot of the things were this. When somebody tells you you're great, it feels good. But when t- somebody tells you you need to work on this, it gives you motivation to work harder. Mm. Yeah. And for me, my generation I grew up in, it wasn't about you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great. It was like, bro, you suck. Get better so you can come back and I'll tell you you're great, but I'm not going to tell you until you're great. Yeah. And so that was, you know, I wanted to always push myself and make sure that when I stepped in a room, Somebody that told me I sucked, I wanted to come back the next time and be like, nah, all right. Yeah. I'll, I'll ride there. I'll there you go. Guy, you know, come through. You're great now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You need and that. so that, my generation is different. The generation now, everybody's not necessarily softer, but they've all been padded. Yeah. You know, there's so many training wheels and there's so much just softness around them that gives, that tells them like, yo, just believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. It's like, nah, man, I want to tell you you suck so you can come back and prove me wrong. I'd rather be proved wrong than tell you you're great and then 10 years from now I'd be like, man, you told me I was great and yeah, I didn't like make it. Yeah, like participation trophies left you know? and right. One, one, of the, one of the really beautiful things, though, is that I want to even strip that time of the era you were in and also, like, the lack of information which made aspiration possible. Fuck. What the fuck? <laughs> I just had to give myself a shoulder shimmy. He's got to feel himself. I'm, I'm not humble yeah. anymore, dog. Like, fuck humble. Fuck humble. Fuck humble. But look, this is the beautiful thing because, like, in listening to you, I get all of that completely and appreciate it. And, and yes, that's very significant. One of the more beautiful silver lining points of that, though, coming from a kid that was left on a fucking doorstep that came in, that left the country, came into one of the whitest places in fucking America. Thank God you weren't in fucking like Mississippi where like you had really had problems. You were just in a white yeah, neighborhood. Definitely. You were just .7. Oh, the Asian guy with the McElroys. Yeah. Hi, John David. No, but... The, cra- the, the most beautiful part for me in, in, in this perfect storm is the whole time up until this point, you were searching for an identity, right? The whole, like, you came from a family that had one child and the rest were adopted, right? And then going through that, like, it's crazy. You grew up in a home where you appreciated and respected your parents for being parents, but you also knew you grew up in a very fucking unique home where everybody was brand new. Cats are like watching, older older siblings are watching Sesame Street with you to learn English. Like for them, it's it's, it's a necessity for you. Like you just watching Big Bird do his thug thizzle <laughs> and Cookie Monster fucking like start a ruckus, right? But... The most beautiful part, I said that fucking 50 times. I'm just calling myself out right now. But what really struck me (laughs) is 
you found your identity in dance. Yeah, yeah. And you found who John David McElroy was through dance. First, it started as random club. You go on, you, you get in the love of the, of the chickies. And then it just becomes like you're feeling more confident that you're owning it. Then you come out to a community of like where the creators really live. And it's like you're being encouraged. The same, it's different when I look at you because the same effort that you put in to get great, which is like kids in this era that can watch 50 of their top dancers and keep practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. But for you, it was it was a lifeblood, dog. Like, dance wasn't just something you did. Dance became who J.D. McElroy was. So dance was never going to let J.D. McElroy down because how can J.D. McElroy let himself down? Like, the attachment was deeper. And that's, like, the most fucking wildest and beautiful part about it is that, like, because, dog, you're a late bloomer in dance. You started dancing by going to a fucking uh, underage club at 15, right? A lot of dancers that become some of the best dancers are dancing fucking from when they're four or five or six. And in in, in this little period of time, the crazy shit is, is, like, and, and, like, I, I like challenge people to think of the deeper lining in this, but like you in in the way in 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 the in the world that you were put in, were searching for an identity and you found it through dance. You played basketball, you did try, but you found it through dance. So as much as you wanted to grow in your craft, you literally were like building JD McElroy up. You know, no one says it's not like you make the conscious decision. I think I was talking about this with Jaylen. It's like. You know, I want to be a lawyer or I want, I want to be a doctor or I want to be, uh, you know, a wealth. On manager. your own merit. Yeah, like this is what I'm going to be. When it comes to the arts, it kind of blurs those lines. It's like you don't necessarily go like one day I'm going to be a dancer. It's just you find something that you just become a dancer. Yeah. It's just it's not like a choice at that moment. Same with music. It's like you don't very few people make the choice of like waking up one day and saying, I'm going to be, you know, this musician. During that time, you had aspirations to be a dancer, but what does that even mean to you? It's, that's, a, that's a pretty loaded thing to want to be. You know, now you can talk about, obviously we'll get there, you can talk about so many of plethoras of the dance industry, yeah. but what did it mean to you to aspire to be a dancer? At 16, no? <laughs> at Man. 16. So at that time, at that time really there only was, in my mind, at least what I knew that there was dancing in a music video or behind an artist on a tour. That's all that. And really that pretty much was it at yeah, that time too. Yeah, because we're not in the information age. So for me, the hardest thing was, well, part of this identity crisis was I also thought I was black because of all the people I, I grew up with. All the people I grew up with, the way I grew up, I grew up with like, it was all blacks shit. and Mexicans. Yeah. And everything that I like loved, everything about me was hip-hop culture it was all about that world mm-hmm. and it was the only people that i related to i talked to and it was like you know i thought i thought that i was from brooklyn new york or the bronx new- i swear on everything in life that's I like you know it. what i mean I love it. and so <laughs> that's I, fucking beautiful coming that's, from the irish boulder yeah, colorado yeah. Like, <laughs> straight up korea the fucking colorado in an irish family you know what i'm saying but he's straight from new york <laughs> it's you know what i'm saying son but but think about it like Dance is his identity, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And so, I mean, at that time period, there were no Asians on TV. 
I mean, really, there still aren't. But at that time, for sure, there were no Asians, one, background dancing, two, on TV at all. And so when people, uh, you know, when I was in L.A. and people were like, yo, you need to come out here. I was like, I don't even know what I could do out here. And they're like, you just the way that you'll better your craft, the way you'll get better is by being around the best. Mm -hmm. And L.A. had the best. And so when I was finishing up high school, I graduated at 17. And and it wasn't because I was smart. It was just age, birthday wise, whatever. I moved out to L.A. I had a I'd won a dance competition. Um, so let me back up just a, a year real back quick. Back it up. Dance so I was up. I was dancing. The studio that we were at turned into an actual real studio. They was doing competitions. They the nonprofit. The nonprofit. Yeah. Okay. So they called Motion Underground, and we started getting like some recognition on the on the West Coast and like the Bay Area. And people were like, "Yo, these kids are dope." And so we would go to like these competitions of all these like ballerinas and jazz dancers and shit like that, and come through with hip hop pieces mm. and just wreck them. Mm. Motherfuckers up. would be like, "God damn that shit!" <laughs> you know what I mean? And we come through and smash that shit and win these win these competitions that kids were like growing up and like primed to be. You know, they're gonna be the next person at LADF, and we came wow. through and smashed that shit. And so I got, I did like a solo uh, for one of these competitions, and they were like, "Yo, you we." are going to give you like the top solo act, blah, 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 blah. We'll give you a flight out to Los Angeles and you can audition to be with this agency. Mm. Wow. And so like this was what, 16, 17, this is, this was going into my, or this is my senior year in high school. Got it. And so when I graduated high school right away, I came out to LA in July and, you know, did the audition, didn't make it, you know, it was cool, whatever, but stayed out here. Hold on. What the fuck does it's cool? Whatever mean? Like, I didn't I just didn't make the Take us through that. Like, what was that like? Like, did you did you go there? Like, fuck, this is my shot. No, 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 no. To, or was it free will? It was. So the audition, first of all, that was for wasn't for hip hop dancers. It was for jazz. Oh, okay. And, and, so you, and were like, you, were you know, like they had us come in and learn this choreography. And like, yeah, I don't dance like this. I'm like, saying, this is not what I'm I do. Fuck them for you. Back you know. And and so as soon as I left the audition, I was like, that wasn't that's not me. I mean, that's not that's not going to happen. And so they wanted me, you know, they had me freestyle and like the, actually the agent there, she called me and she was like, um, she, uh, she called and she was like, Hey, we really like you. Just not what we're looking for right mm. now. And the thing about that, which was really interesting was I didn't want to be with them. So important. And wow. I knew that like, if these, if this is what I have to be surrounded by, I got to be around all these little yeah. bougie jazzy kids that are stretching yeah. before they dance. I don't want to do that. I would think that maybe you'd be like, fuck, I got to learn how to do this so I can compete. Well, when I left Colorado, <laughs> when I left Colorado, I literally was the baddest motherfucker in Colorado. And, and when I left, I knew that. And knowing that gave me this kind of arrogance and this confidence that I probably didn't deserve and... Yeah. When I moved to LA, I definitely wasn't at that caliber. But the yeah. mentality I had was like, man, this, this I'm the fucking me. illest dancer. I'm the illest male dancer in Colorado. Period. Mm. If I don't, if I'm coming out here, I got dance next to these little bougie ass, little stretching motherfuckers. That's not what I'm doing. Yeah, I'd rather go back to Colorado and yeah. be the best illest motherfucker. You know what I mean? What's crazy was I was dancing and they had this audition for Block, which is the agency at the time. And they were brand new to just coming out, had their first dance agency uh, 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 audition. And I went in and fucking smashed that shit. Right? Hip hop. It was all my style. Everything for me. Just 
smashed in, it. Ooh, in, your world. And, and so I came in, I did this audition, and immediately the, everybody was like, yo, we want you. You know what I mean? Like, <coughs> I'm, for, as far as signed clients, not the ones that they brought over from uh, other agencies, but I'm, tw- I'm 26th for Block. I'm their 26th client that they signed that didn't come from another agency. Wow. How old were you at that time? 17 still. So, so you would come back again. So no, no, I'm st- that was the same time I was in LA. Got it. So I had an audition in oh, July. Shit. This is now okay. August. So then my birthday is August 12th. Leo, what up? And uh, Leo season. So I I'm, I had I went back home to get all my stuff. Moved back to LA. Went back home, packing all my stuff, and 9/11 happened. So that kind of put everything on like a oh, wow. You know, when 9-11 happened, I walked into silent reading of my history class and was wilding out. It's insane. Dude, I woke up. It's crazy. I woke up that morning. My dad was going to the airport. He traveled a lot just for his job. <laughs> he, went to, he was going to the airport, and I'm sitting there. I wake up. He calls the house phone, and I'm like, hello. You know, tired as fuck. Hello. And he's like, turn on the TV. I'm like, who is this? He's like, it's your dad. I was like, I thought you've left. He's like, turn on the TV. I go and turn on TV and immediately everything in my life stopped. I was like, holy shit, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. My cousin lived in Brooklyn at the time. Like everything was just like, what the fuck? Wow. And my dad came back from the airport. He's sitting there. I just remember we're both sitting on a couch at my parents' house. We're both sitting there at the couch and we, we're not saying anything. We're just sitting there just like, what the fuck is Watching going on? Planes hit these buildings. And so, you know, from that, went from like I'm moving back to LA to I don't know what the fuck is going on anymore. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and I think everybody's lives was like that at that moment. Yeah. Where it's very much like how do I move forward and, and how do I kind of like Especially at that transitional age. Yeah. And how do I go into following my passion, my dream again after something like this happens. So I was back in Colorado and, you know, the hardest part at that time is my parents supported dance through high school but not as a profession you know what i mean like my parents very much wanted me to go to college the whole nine blah 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 blah. which is like most parents at that time too yeah but that's safety but i you know definitely did not want that and so my parents were like either you gonna go to college or get a nine to five or you out and so i was out i was i was i was out and so after 9-11 happened uh you know i just I was just kind of living in Colorado, just doing, going through the motions, doing random jobs here and there. And uh, not to pass over 9-11 like that, but um, I had a job opportunity in San Francisco in early November that year. And so I went up and I packed everything that I possibly could. Had $120 wow. and a Skytel, Motorola Skytel two-way pager. <laughs> went up and I did this show and I didn't leave. I didn't catch my flight home. I stayed in San Francisco. Wow. Now this is where the shit gets crazy. So there's a famous, <laughs> famous, famous creator, famous creator now, uh, 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 of, of movies, and his name is George Lucas. His daughter, Amanda Lucas. <laughs> and the podcast is over. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. Hey. Mama, we met that. <laughs> Mama, we made it. Hey, it's okay. thank you for that. So, so she was a dancer, and so we did this, this show called uh, Hip Hop Festival San Francisco with this woman, Makaya, who threw it, and one of her dancers was Amanda Lucas, which is George Lucas's daughter. And so our whole crew at the time, Motion Underground, I was saying we had like 
you know, got a little buzz behind us. People were feeling us. We were we were dope. People were giving us the love that we deserved. She was like, everybody can stay at my house. And she had like this fucking brownstone, three stories elevator in it. You know, the whole nine, like just yeah. ill as fuck. Thanks, yeah. dad. <laughs> and so we all was there staying. And I remember I packed all my stuff up. Damn, and- this was the moment where you... Let me let me ask you this, because you packed all your stuff up or as much as you could. Mm-hmm. Get in your machine. head, were you like, I'm not going back? Oh no, I knew. That as soon as as soon as we had that job, as soon as that job came up, I was like, I'm almost there. Yeah. I'm not in LA, I'm not in LA yet, but I'm almost there. And I remember packing up as much as I could in these two duffel bags. Did you have the combo with the parents then? No, no, no. They had no yeah. idea. So I mean that's, the, that's the beautiful dichotomy of that like scenario. It's like and and this is the beauty of parents that take a stand, right? Because maybe you went through hell, like I don't know if it was a hell of shit that you went through for choosing not to go to college or whatnot, but they had the the the, the beauty in them to say, look, okay, if you're not gonna do that, you got to make it happen. This isn't a game anymore. Yeah. And you had this op, and for you, you were like, well, shit, if this isn't a game anymore, I got to get out west. Yeah. That was it. I knew that's where I had to be, and. You know, I so I was out there, patting on my shit. All my boys, everybody, they finished the show. They left. I stayed at Amanda's house for like two weeks. Wow. You know, I was at like maybe $100 now. Did you have a convo with her about it? or was it just Yeah, like- yeah. Oh, she. I told her, I was like, yo, can I crash here for a little bit, figure out my life? She was like, yeah, of course. That's so tight. Super dope. With chick. Amanda Lucas. Right? Amazing. So then probably like mid-November now. It was like mid-late November, two and a half, three weeks into after I've, I've been there. I'm like, yo, I got to get to L.A. I'm sitting here on the couch doing nothing in San Francisco. Mm. All I'm doing is sitting here eating your food, and I'm not doing anything. So I did whatever I knew how to do, and I hitchhiked from San Francisco Shut down to L.A. Shut the fuck up, you hitchhiked. Dude, what is that even? <laughs> like in the hey, U- hey, this must have been well. the fuck up. He did whatever he had to do, and then he hitchhiked. <laughs> like, so can we discuss... What you had to do? So, like hitchhiking? So, let me see. <laughs> That's like <laughs> like people in 1969 from Woodstock. Yeah. Like they hitchhiked. There was a friend of a friend of a friend who was driving down to <laughs> Fresno. And they were like, we can take him to Fresno. But after that, he has, uh, we don't know nobody, whatever. Yeah. So they drove me down to Fresno. I got dropped off at the Fresno truck stop. Yo. And I'm like the craziest shit. Like as we got dropped off, this dude that she knew, the girl, was like, yo. And they were, it was like everything kind of got put in alignment. And the dude was like, yo, I, I'm about to go to L.A. Shut like, the fuck up. And she, she knew this guy at the truck she stop. She knew the dude at the truck stop. Shut the, in Fresno. In Fresno, yeah. And I jumped in his car. We got down. And he dropped me off in the corner of Franklin and Gower. Right at that gas station. And how much you have in your pocket? $87 now. I'm at $87, like dollars, right? I know that. I know because I, I remember. In I remember, man. That's straight and, the fuck and, up. And Franklin and Gower is right in Hollywood for yeah. all you guys. So I got dropped off the corner of Franklin Gower. And, you know, I'd been in LA the earlier a little past, so I knew like a few folks out here. So I went inside, you know, got a couple dollars and quarters, went outside of the payphone, pulled out my little Skytel. Two way. <laughs> started calling the two way. <laughs> started calling. He had eighty seven dollars in his pocket, but he had a Motorola Sky telling the bitch just like flip flip. Yo, but the thing was different. <laughs> the thing is different though, because back then you paid a year, 
So you would pay like 70 bucks <laughs> oh, and that took up. care of the year. So, good. so that was already, I was you're already good. solid. <laughs> so I'm calling, I'm calling through and I get to my boy, this guy, Dave Kelleher, right? Dave and Kelleher. Dave Kelleher, my man, 100 grand, Stand always been, always Dave will Kelleher. be. So I call this guy and I'm like, I go through like four or five other people, but I finally get to him. I'm like, yo, Dave, I'm in L.A. I tell him what happened, basically. Who, who is Dave Kelleher? Dave Kelleher is actually a cousin of one of the dancers that I knew at uh, Motion Underground growing up at Got the it. studio back home. And he's a cousin that I actually just randomly hung out with a few times in L.A. Got it. During that time, he was like, oh, your cousin's with Julia. <laughs> like, yo, just let's hang out. So. <laughs> I call him He's like yo Are you the dumbest kid I've ever met Or are you the dumbest kid I was like What does that mean He's like I'm coming to pick you You know where you are <laughs> He's like You know where you I'm coming to pick you up So he comes through Picks me up How old is Dave, uh, Dave Kelly Dave, He just graduated college So he's probably 21 <laughs> Okay Maybe 22-ish He was like a younger He was like the young smart kid uh, Graduated from uh, FSU um, Actually he was probably like 22, 23 So he comes Picks me up I stay at his place For Two months. Oh wow! Right during that time period. What are the, okay, you know what's crazy and why why I bring this shit up is because yeah. we hear all these stories, right? Like came to the U.S. with a hundred in my pocket, yeah. and then did this, did that, and made it. I want to take it like a little more intimate to you and Dave Keller, her, her. <laughs> FSU back in L.A., Florida boy. What was the conversation like for those two months? Because it's like, oh, you have a college grad, then you have a dude that was bold enough to fucking like be in LA and like randomly, when I think about it, like romanticizing, you think about it, it's like, damn, like you got a kid that literally is just starting his adult life, right? And then you got a youngster that's doing the same, but he's four years younger and he came to LA and just called you on a fucking payphone. But at the same time, it's like, okay, two months, and you stayed with Dave. What were those convos like, and how was that situated? Because I feel like in history, moments like these are way passed over. Like, okay, got to Dave's crib, stayed there for two months, then went here. Like, what the fuck? Because that two months, something could have changed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That two months is like so fucking pivotal. And you that know, $87 months, doesn't last That two months. months. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I was going LA. next, though. That's where I was about to go next. Get it there, baby. So, that's like 10 cents a day. <laughs> Get it there, baby boy. So, so he worked at E, the network station right over there. Oh, on, so he owned. He, he worked at E on, at the network station on, uh, on Wilshire. Yeah. And the first day that I, I lived with him, Right. I was like already mentality was like, yo, I got a I got an agent, my agent. I book block. They want me moved out here. They want me moving and grooving. They want me to do hey, stuff. Talk to me. Dog. Right. I'm so Dave in my Keller, mind, dog, we talking in my mind. I'm like, I'm already going to make it because I got an agent. Call my agent living out here. Hey, J.D. Yeah, we, we need your headshots. We need blah, blah, blah. We need blah, 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 blah. It's probably going to cost you about four or five hundred dollars to get ready to get going. We'll probably start sending you out in a few months. I'm like, no, I need this today. I got yeah. no money. I got no place to live. I'm on a couch. I need this today. It was do or die. So Dave was like, yo, come with me to work. There's a bunch of restaurants around the spot. Just come. With, I'll take you to work. Just walk around, see if you get a job or something. You know what I mean? I come with him to work. I walk across the street. There's a restaurant called Briaz. And at the time, it was like a fast food restaurant for like the workers. So it was like paninis and soup. It was like more on the healthy, yeah. healthier side of things, yeah. right? And so I walk in there and I was like, 
I just moved to LA. I need a job. I don't have a resume. I'm just literally walking in saying, can I get a job? Wow. And the manager at the lady, the lady manager, she was like, we need like as many work. We just opened up. We're looking for workers the whole night. No way. So you came in with a dollar to dream. So she was like, but the thing is, is like, I need you here all day. Like I I can't give you a part-time. I need you here all day. We're not doing part-time for kids. And I was like, Fuck it, whatever. Like, let's do it. So Dave, he was, and Dave is a hustler as well. He was coming into work at like six five thirty a.m. just to get a one up on everybody at the office, and leaving at like five six p.m. And so I would go to work with him, and literally walk across the street, work at the restaurant five six a.m. because everybody was getting to work early in the morning anyway. They need somebody making the paninis on the press and the grill and shit like that. So I'd work there from that time to that time, and the whole time because I was living rent free really and eating for free because i got free food from the spot and every time at at, and thing about the the restaurant was dope was at the end of the night anything that was left over they would give away to like the homeless like every it was always like it was never they would sell it again the next day right so whatever was not sold i would just fucking take and bring home sandwich. So Dave was like, "Oh, you got sandwich?" i was like yeah i got sandwich i can't do (laughs) you know what i mean yeah so I worked there for two months straight. I didn't take dance class. I didn't do anything. I worked there for two months with this this dude taking me to work, living on his couch the whole nine, and saving just saving money on the side. The craziest part is at that time, you had to have credit to get a phone. If you wanted a cell phone and you wanted to get a, a, a plan, you had to have credit. And it was a big deal. And I didn't have a cell phone at the time. And probably a month and a half it was probably like a week or two before uh, I quit my job. This guy from Sprint came in. And the dude is like, yo, the first time, this is like Sprint's come up. They were like, for the first time, we're doing no credit check. $150. to Sprint. Yeah, shout out. $150 cash. You know, we'll give you the phone. You just pay $150, you know, whatever, however you want to pay for it. $150 for the phone, right? So, yeah, I'm sprinkling salt on the motherfuckers. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I'm like, boom, get a cell phone. Now, <clears throat> like, you know, I have a cell phone. I'm able to talk to my agent, deal with stuff, plan, shitty ass plan. But that's time that, you know, if you had a cell phone and a SkyTel two way, you was balling, baby. <laughs> the so, motherfucker had a SkyTel two way, though. Like, I fucking feel you. Shout out to your year in advance, too. You know what I mean? Lit. Shit. So, <laughs> you know, it's. You know, right right now we're kind of going into into that new year, two thousand two, January, February, and I'm at this at this time I just got enough money, you know, where I'm like three four months okay. I'm at, I was pretty good, you know what I mean. I, I wasn't spending any money, mm-hmm. and everything that I was bringing in, I'm working twelve hour days, you know, going in overtime. You're just bringing the check just, home, just stacking, right? <clears throat> so finally, I get the studio apartment, <clears throat> small little, you know. 400 square feet, little whatever. And I was like, I need to start dancing. So with that cash that I had, you know, I had a little bit for the rent for, the, you know, a few months. And then I got this unlimited pass for the, for the studio. And so I got monthly studio. Lit. Whatever a class I want to take, yeah. it needs unlimited. Yeah. And so I was taking the bus back and forth from my house to the wow. studio every day. How far was it? Train. Uh, like eight miles. Cool, but it was just you know just That's the bus a cool up hour, and down. Hour and fifteen, no. Just a bus up and down Lancashire. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, started taking classes, started meeting people, started like 
I understand the industry a little bit. And uh, I remember it was March. <laughs> Craziest <laughs> shit in life, right? March. This, I, was, I, was, I was hanging with this crew and, and this guy. He's super influential in the dance world, but he was just like super good dude and always was bringing on like the new cats. And uh, he passed away this year, rest in peace. But wow. good friend Andre Fuentes. Um, rest in peace, Andre. He took me to this audition for a Pepsi commercial, Pepsi campaign. And it was all black call. They wanted only black street dancers. And the idea was like, uh, at the time, Harlem Shake was super huge. So mm. they wanted to feature Harlem Shakers. <coughs> and so he was like, yo, just crash it with me. You're the best Harlem Shaker I know. Like the way wow. you get down. Never seen anybody do this, right? <laughs> Takes me to this audition. I go in. <laughs> smash this shit. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard from my agent in ages. I get a call from my agent. He's like, hey, JD, did you crash an audition? And I'm like, I'm so, like, you know, I'm now yeah. thinking, I'm, I'm in yeah. trouble, I crashed an audition. Yeah. And, but this is after not hearing from you. But you're not, yeah, but you know. You're not asking for permission. You yeah. were just ready to say I was just trying to go. Without yeah, knowing yeah. that. She's like, we put you on a hold. I was like, what? And they're like, Pepsi wants to put you on a hold. And I was wow. like, I don't know what this means. And she was like, they want to see, that. first of all, they want to hold you for these dates because they want to book you on this job. Wow. And I was like, what? Wow. And I'm like, they're like, yeah, and it's with Rich and Tone. I'm like, what? Yo. And, and at that time, you know, Rich and Tone, that's Michael Jackson. These are like Yodas. These are like the motherfuckers, yeah. right? And I, you know, I'd watched them in music. I know, I knew who they were. Yeah. And so they were like, it's with Rich and Tone. You know what I mean? You got uh, Lawrence Francis directing it. It's uh, the campaign for Pepsi for this year. Wow. Right. Duh. And so I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like. This is my first job and I'm fucking, you know what I mean? So I show. That's a big first job. Week later, I booked the job. And I fucking. Wow. Booked it. Booked it. Done. Go, I show up at uh, a Warner Brothers studio. I'm on, I'm, not Warner Brothers, on Universal. Wait, what'd that feel like, that moment that they told you you booked that job? Honestly, I didn't understand what that meant. Like, walk us through that. At that time period, you don't, I didn't understand exactly what the industry was and what it meant to book something. Okay. I just knew I booked something with Pepsi. And so, I, well, first of all, I didn't know. Uh oh, a little Harlem shaking music. Uh oh. <laughs> you had to put it out there. Said, all I'm shaking, I was like, get this money. That was it, man. Bad boy had that shit unlocked. Man. Feel me? I feel you. Hey, I feel you. That I, was want, I, want, I wanted to take it to the hook, dog. Get this money. Take this money. <laughs> all right, fuck, fuck it. Ah. And now we back. And now Fuck we back. it. But what was the so they they tell you you booked this like for you what was that like? For me it was just booking the first job, <sighs> not understanding the magnitude of what a, a national campaign commercial was for Pepsi. Were you nervous or were you like excited? Were you like, did, it, was it like a light at the end of the tunnel type feeling? Uh, it w I was nervous as fuck. You were nervous, and 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 I wasn't nervous going into the job. I was nervous when. I walked on the Universal Studio set and it was a fucking like a real set with trailers. The first thing that they did was they had me sign a contract and then they put me in my own trailer, oh, like a movie wow. star. 
And I had no idea what that meant or what that was. I just they gave me so I'm not sitting in a room in a trailer by myself. <laughs> like, what the fuck do I do now? What do I sit here and fuck? just hang out or you know what I mean? Like I'm like, I don't want to be alone because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like yeah. somebody and I remember this PA comes up, knocks on my door, and he's like, Hey, can I get you anything? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, I don't know. What, do you want it? Do you need anything? Are you hungry? Like, what is, do you need anything? And I was like, yeah, uh, can I get a bagel and cream cheese? And he's like, yeah, I'll bring it right away. And I'm like, I just got a bagel and cream cheese. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I just got a bagel. This is crazy. Right? And so... Uh, we, we get on set, we start rehearsal, and this isn't even a shoot day, this is just a rehearsal day. We get on set, and everybody's like, yo, so we're going to be dancing to a song, we're not going to play it right now, uh, we're going to just dance to Pastor Cavassier. So that was, I mean, at that time, that was like, these oh. motherfucker. And so, we, I jump on set, we're dancing to Pastor Cavassier, and everybody's like, oh man, you shake, you're like a fucking, are you from New York? And in my head, I'm like, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. In my head, I was actually, like. <laughs> actually, actually <laughs> I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, actually. Yeah, to oh, be as specific. a matter of fact, I fucking am. I was like, <laughs> man, in my head, I was like, yeah, I'm from New York. <laughs> and they're like, man, we never seen like an Asian shake that like that. Like at, at least <laughs> never like be able to move oh, like dog. you. And they, and so. I remember, like, you know, one of the other guys, Fly, which for me at that time, he was in You Make Me Wanna uh, uh, music video with Usher. And I was always like, man, this is, I want to be like these four dance. I want to oh, be these four guys. You know what I mean? Make me I do know what you make. So I'm sitting here, sitting, in the, sitting, talking with this guy. He's doing a commercial with me. And we're, I'm sitting here chopping it up with him. And he's like, yo, where are you from, man? You know, just ask me questions. I'm like, I'm from Colorado. It's my first job. I'm super excited to be here. Like, just, you know. Yeah. Like, no, I'm uh, just uh, this is uh, what you do. Uh, uh, we got the white background here, man. Uh, this is what you do. The one a new relationship. Yeah. Hey. By the I way, had, bro, I had to. dude, I saw. I, had, I wanna throw my phone and hit the ceiling and let it crash on the ground. Oh, that that story is gonna get even better when you play that song. I'm gonna tell you some stuff a little bit later. That's gonna get even better. Side note about tell Usher. me some motherfucking stuff, dog. Side note about Usher. I saw him in Jamaica perform. You would you wouldn't believe how many Usher songs this fool has. Oh, like, he has hits, and hits, and hits, bro. The entire set it was like two and a half hours of hit. You know every song, every, every word. word, every word, every song. It's crazy. Anyway, jumping back in. All right, so we, we, we do this commercial, right? And I have no idea what is about to happen. So finish the commercial, Block all of a sudden is like a little bit on my nuts. They're like, yo, JD, I can't believe you booked that commercial. That's huge for us. You That's a moneymaker, dog. And so then next thing you know, at this time, shout out one, Anissa Williams, and two, Paul Hunter. Anissa, wait, hold on. Anissa yeah. Williams? Yeah, Anissa Williams. I gave her a hug today, B. Yeah. Oh, you was over there? Oh, yeah, yeah. I worked there. Works now. Got the studio below you. Yo, and you knew Anissa back then? Yo. So check this out. During that time. What the fuck? So during this time, music videos were like the only marketing tool that artists had, right? Everybody put out a music video, get thrown on TV, people buy the album, right? So they were doing shooting music videos 
weekly. Yeah. Companies, everybody, they were oh. pouring money into music videos. So I started becoming this golden goose. Mind you, let me let me put <laughs> some things into perspective. Let me put some you were a literal me, golden goose. Let though. me put some things in perspective. I had grown my hair out, so I'm now the Asian kid with braids. I had cornrows. Oh, my hair was my hair was that. down like little past from New my York, collarbone. Though, dog. Like who yeah, in New York doesn't right? doesn't braid their shit up? So my hair is like a little past my collarbone. <laughs> I have braids. I'm the, the Korean, Irish, Asian kid with braids on every set. You're right? fucking John David McElroy. That's who the fuck you are. And so now all of a sudden all these artists and all these people are like, yo, who's this Asian guy with coming in here talking like with the guy New York accent and shit? <laughs> you know what I mean? I swear I had like, it was ridiculous. So all, all of a sudden I started doing all these music videos. And so it was like all direct book, Anissa Williams, Paul Hunter would book me on all the, it was a lot of extra work, but then a lot of like principal dance work wow. where they come in and they want just a dude to freestyle at one section, you know what I mean? So I was doing that for like four months. Wow. Weekly. So now I'm getting three, four hundred bucks a week, sometimes doing two music videos a week. Where I'm wow. like, man, I'm making I'm making a little money. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm out here doing my dream. Did you stop working at the the Panini place? Oh yeah. So I quit the Panini spot like the middle of January. This is now like I, I booked a Pepsi in March. Are you still okay. are you eighteen at this point? I'm now eighteen, yeah. Okay, so you're so, you're dancing full time. I'm I'm now dancing full time, right? That, that's huge. And so this is yeah, I'm like, you know, paying five hundred dollars rent and at, at the place I was paying everything was included. I wasn't paying for internet because there was no internet. All I was doing was paying my five hundred dollars for rent and eating feeding myself and you know Straight up. That scripts. was it. I didn't have a car or whatever. So come May, right? I get a phone call from from one of the guys that's a teacher. I knew him, Dave Scott, and he's like, "Yo, we got a, a private audition for B2K for their summer jam or for the Scream tour, which is 106 and Parks tour, which is the biggest wow. at that time was the biggest tour of the summer." Mind you, I'm like finishing up high school. I'm like, "Yo, I could dance for these cats. These cats are whack." <laughs> I could dance for them. You know what I mean? And so I get a call for this go in audition. And book it. Of course you did. Right. You and so go, you were the go two days goose. later, they're like, we're starting rehearsals. We're going on tour. That, so now that quick turnaround. That's my turnaround. Yeah. So now I'm now I'm on the biggest summer tour. Bro, we did Madison Square Garden three nights. Wait, wait. We, we can't just jump to two days on tour to Madison Square Garden. Like. You can. Yeah, when you when, when, dog, when you we're we about at, to go. You, we're about to go on a ride, baby. Yeah, we're jumping. <laughs> when you looking at the golden goose, dog, you know it's lit. Yeah. So, so I, I booked this tour, right? And I'm dealing with a lot of shit at this time, like just you know figuring out the industry. I'm I'm young, man. I'm kid. Not I'm new booty everywhere. And and actually, everybody, all the dancers on this tour, this is all our first tours. Like all six of us fellas, we are new booties, young. You know. Just figuring it out. Yeah. And so dealing with like the, the, the industry side and dealing with like the idea of one making a little. First of all, we got fucked up the ass on what we were getting paid on this tour. We, this was the lowest paid tour because Chris Stokes, fuck you, motherfucker, is the shadiest, worst dude yeah. ever in his business. Demon. And so, you know, we, we got that that first quick introduction to the industry on, on that wow. real quick. Yeah. But at the same time, the life lessons I learned on that tour were unbelievable. And I I will not go into some of the crazy stories because it's it's ridiculous. But the thing is, that's nuts. Is at that time period in life is two thousand two. 
there was the only way you saw an artist was to show up or you saw them in a magazine. Right. Mm, so right. when we would show up at our hotel, there would be five, six hundred kids, grown ass women at the hotel waiting and willing, just whatever. I'm 18 years old. First time <laughs> seeing a, seeing anything outside of Colorado and a few trips that I did with my family growing up. Now exposed to the Beatles, some of the dumbest shit you'd ever see in life. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and not even on a rock star Beatles type shit. But this is like little dumb kid girl shit because the Beatles that's grown woman shit this is like dumb kids that are 18 19 that are sneaking out of their parents house and Mm -hmm. just graduated high school coming to see their favorite artists you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so we're running through we're running through the United States this is a four month tour (laughs) we're running through the United States you know I think we did 97 shows something like that a little under 100 Wild. So right? many shows. In four months. In four months and so many shows. Right? We're running through this fucking <laughs> shit. Man, all I remember, we got to Madison Square Garden, and this is my first time in New York. We pull up Madison Square Garden. You came home. And I'm sitting I'm coming home, baby. <laughs> I'm coming home. You know what I mean? Brooklyn. <laughs> so so I we pull up to Madison Square and I'm standing outside and it says, you know, Scream Tour to B2K, IMX, and Bow Wow. And I'm looking up and I just break down. I start crying. Really? And wow. I'm like, out of everything that I've been through in my life, and I'm 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 18 years old right now, and I I'm I'm standing under the spot to be. I'm at the motherfucking Madison Square Garden. The Mecca, I'm not though. at I'm not at some fucking like show place at at, at a, a House of Blues. No <laughs> distant House of Blues. But I'm at motherfucking Madison Square Garden. Three shows sold out the whole nine. You know what I mean? Like everything that I've ever wanted and everything that I believe that I could do, I'm here right now. And I graduated high school almost less than a year ago. Wow. You know what I mean? So I'm standing there. I'm sta- just tears. I'm like, I don't even understand why I'm emotional right now, but I just remember sitting there. I'm like, this is Madison Square Garden, man. I'm at the garden. I'm here. You know what I mean? And that was my mama. I made it. Hey! Mind you, mind you, I haven't talked to my parents since I've been kicked out. I was going to ask you that. Like, where were your parents at all that? So I hadn't talked to them this whole time period. So they they have no clue you're even on tour? They knew I was on tour. I let them know that I was on the road. But they didn't, you know. They didn't know the magnitude. So I'm sitting here doing all this stuff. And I just remember like, man, this is it. (laughs) This is it. Not even knowing what the next step could be. Yeah. You know, I got a national commercial campaign. I'm on tour with B2K, the hottest tour of the summer. I'm 18 years old, fresh fresh into life. And I'm thinking I'm the top of everything. You know what I mean? Like... That yeah. was that was that was my beginning, and that's I remember seeing I was at Madison Square Garden, and I was saying like, everything from now on is gonna be okay. Mm. You know wow. what I mean? Like I really that was like that moment where I was like, I'm dealing with all this bullshit on tour. I'm dealing with all this shit. That's the business, whatever. That in my mind, you know, uh, this is this is how it's supposed to go. Yeah. I don't know any different. Yeah. yeah. So everything from that moment, oh man, you know what I mean? Like this is this was it. Yeah. But. That wasn't it. <laughs> Yo. That was just the beginning, man. <laughs> Talk to us, dog. Yeah, hey, guys, man. and uh, now the podcast is starting. Yes. Now now we get to begin. Now we get the good stuff. We back. So, uh, so yeah, so we finished up that tour. 
Um, we're going to jump in and, in and out a lot of personal stuff now, though. But at that time, uh, I found out on that tour, I found out I had a daughter. So, what? yeah. So now it's I, I'm, you know, on this tour, I'm doing all these things and I'm, I'm you know, finding out like you're 18 oh, years, old. 18 years old. <laughs> and so to kind of rewind, basically, you know, during that time that I was back home in Colorado between that uh, hiatus from July to, to November, um, you know, back in Colorado, I, I got back with the girl that I was with in high school and, yeah. um, you know, just comfortable back together. And so when I left, we broke up and it was nothing like breaking up over fights. It was just, I love you. You're you you got to do this. Like, and I support you, but I don't want to be with you. Word. And so when we broke up, it was just a very honest conversation. And that yeah. was it. Mm-hmm. Mind you, during that time period, like the internet, the phone calls, it wasn't the same. She had a new boyfriend and she got pregnant. And I remember she sent me a message and it was, <coughs> granted, like when I look back and I see the message and I see like the, the sonogram from it. Sonogram? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and from it, you know, it could be misconstrued so many different ways, but she was like, I'm pregnant, blah, 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 blah. Does the baby, you know, I think it was partially she thought that it was mine, but she wasn't sure. She mm. had gotten a relationship with a new dude. And she had a baby, and I found out while I was on tour with B2K that I was a father. Wow. And so the what first time... Yeah, what was that moment like? It's You know what? It's one of those things... I was too young to actually understand what it was. Mm. Um, I was trying to wear big boy pants because I'm on tour. I'm trying to be a man about shit. But I didn't realize, like, one... I, the emotional effects that it would have on me from how I was brought up and where I came from and being left on the doorstep and adopted the whole nine. Mm. But also at the same time, it was one of those things that I wanted to be like, you know, there's a lot of folks that are on tour that had kids and they were like, you know, proud of their little ones and I'll be like, yeah, I got a little, I just had a little one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it was, there was a, there was a lot of different emotions that I wasn't really unsure how to, actually feel yeah it was just there but i didn't know how to like comprehend them in a, in a mm. mature way nor did i even know what that meant at that time and so uh, i had a show in colorado which was great because colorado was also the big you know when i left my crew back home in colorado they were all like man you, there ain't no asians on tv you ain't gonna make it you know what i mean wow. it was, wow, there really? was and, and it wasn't it wasn't hate it was more of like sadness that i was leaving them because yeah. they were doing shows we were doing shows for the nuggets you know we were cool yeah. little little squad yeah and the home it, team the hometown heroes it was a hometown here but they also didn't want me to go and so it was also an and there was also a lot of haters. <laughs> okay. But coming back we, to Colorado. We brought the haters back. The Colorados was also a nice little fuck you. And it was also a nice little, yo, check me out. And it was also the first time I met my daughter. Wow. And it was also the first time I told my parents and seen them that I had a daughter Holy and that I'm doing up. this shit. What was so, that? What was dog, you, want, you, want a, you want a tour crazy? You come back. You first time speaking to your parents like that. You have a child. Yeah. Like, this is like 50 billion things that are being blapped out. All on one day. What was and that? Getting ready to jump what, on stage. What, what, was that, <laughs> what was that moment like when Mount St. Helens burst in fucking front of you? You know what? It, for me, it was exactly how I said it. Respect. It was that quick and that easy. Respect. I ran in. I ran outside. I got to meet my daughter. I got to hold her. I got to look at her. Wow. I didn't understand it. 
I didn't know what that meant. Young. You know what I mean? Too young. Too young to, too young to get it. Too young to grab. Saw her, hung out with her, spent, spent a little time with her. You know, at that time, I hadn't met Max, which was uh, baby mama's boyfriend at the time. First time meeting him. You know what wow. I mean? Uh, first time seeing her in over a year, or almost a year. Wow. Mm. Uh, you know, so it was, it was, I didn't know what I was doing, man. I was fucking a kid. I had a ment- the mentality of a kid doing grown wow. man stuff. Yeah. You know, told my parents as if I was a grown ass man being like, I got this. Don't worry about me. Wow. You know what I mean? What was their reaction? Their reaction was. Honestly. Their reaction was shocked because they couldn't react. Wow. I feel you. You know, I feel like my parents. My parents are are, are the type of people that hear something and they want to make sure that they hear what they process it and then come to a conclusion and and have a moment to like understand it before it go crazy on me now it's different now they just go crazy but back then um <laughs> but no back then it was just well what are you gonna do and i was like i i'm a i, I got make this. it work you know what i mean and it was very young and immature of the way that i i dealt with it at that moment with them but at the same time it was what it what it was. Yeah, the dichotomy. And it was at the same time, it was like, I just got you guys front row tickets to my show. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know what I'm mean? saying? Like, the you dichotomy like, 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 is so different. Up. Y'all going like, like yeah. miss me with this It's show. like, it's like, you're at Madison Square Garden and you, like, you can't really talk shit when you're doing exactly, you're at the pinnacle of what you should be doing in your career. It's kind of hard to be like, to say something to you about it. Yeah. And you have the kid, you're like, well, Look, I'm I'm being successful. I'm achieving these great goals. I got this. Yeah. You can't really say anything to you at that point. And 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 the hardest part about it, it wasn't hard, but it was just mentality-wise, my head wasn't there. My head was on the shows. My head was having fun. My head was in the oh, in the yeah. lifestyle I was in. And it wasn't in the responsibility and it wasn't in my parents and it wasn't in, you know, actually being being who I should have been, but at the same time, I was being where I was at that time. And I was with a bunch of kids that were big superstars, and I was faking the funk being a superstar. I wasn't getting paid as a superstar. I wasn't a superstar. There was no superstar about me. But I, because of the people I was with and because of the tour life and everything like that, like that mentality got thrown at me very quickly. Yeah. And I lived up to those expect- expectations, not from somebody else, but my own saying I'm on tour I'm blah 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 which was all bullshit at the for now but at the time it was a real feeling it was a real idea in my head that I'm here and I made it and your girl was supportive no 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 at the time she wasn't at the time I mean the whole thing with with her that she's I mean she's my best friend she's the greatest person I've I, I know I think that um she, she she's amazing. Yeah. I think at that time we were all young. You know what I mean? She she was with him and she wanted to be with him and you know, she we were it wasn't like she was like a 30-year-old woman at the time. She was a fucking kid too. Yeah. So we all were just doing kid things trying to do what we could with what we had and that was it. But how did the child fit into all this cuz I'm sure you you were kind of caught in the middle of you know feeling that you have a responsibility to this kid and also pursuing your dreams and like did you get caught in that no. was there ever those moments no not not at first not at, at first it was just 
at first it was just selfish kid being 18 years old mm-hmm. being a dumb you know what i mean and and also not being able to like truly process what that even means and not even being able to process it yeah. and really not even being able to like own up to it mm-hmm. you know what i mean interesting it, yeah at that time period i just i didn't know any better yeah. all i knew it was right in front of me i was going 100 miles an hour oh and God. only seeing five feet in front of me yeah you know after you went to colorado well how long were you there oh this is just a show Oh, so I was so there just, for one night. Oh, so you're just there for one night, and it yeah, all. So mind you, so it all culminated. All this kind of happened. And you all this kind of happened in, in one night because I was doing shows. I mean, and the craziest part is, I'm. We had we we I still had the show tour all the way through the end of September, so I'm literally just stopping in, saying hello, and and that was my hello. <laughs> that hello, he, he came in there, ripped off the band aid, and then pff, next show. Yeah. Like that, and as much as you weren't able to kind of weigh the magnitude of it being so young, it was able for it to be just that one night because you were so young. Yeah, I mean, it was it was you know the combination of all of it is I'm in the city that I I, I'm from and I get to see everybody, and so I gotta kind of like make do with the time that I have out there before we jump to the next city. And man, I just. I didn't know what I was doing and I was that's that's really what it was at that age what else do you know you know what I mean is just be open at that time to the way that you know how to be open and I just could blurt out what I needed to my parents and say hello to my daughter and jump on stage and then off the next city that's so fucking wild so but you know it, it that was that was that was the way that J.D. McElroy knew how to do what J.D. McElroy did. <coughs> and I finished the tour, and it was awesome. And then, you know, that that year coming into it is kind of, I mean, the craziest was this. It was like, I finished the tour, you know, was back in L.A. doing what I needed to do. I was back and forth in Colorado and trying to see my daughter, but also, you know, had to respect India and Max. They would just wanted me to be on the sidelines. They wanted to do wow. the family thing. Oh, wow. And so, how was that for you? <clears throat> at you, first you it was young. fine. At first it was it was it, it was fine. I tried it. I was back home. I'd see her, you know, every once in a while. It was always like the three of us would go have like lunch. You know what I mean? <laughs> and whatever. That was that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And so I uh coming into that, you know, early spring of uh, the next year started you got served which was like at that time the big dance movie and i was in like the white boy wade's crew doing the thing you know what i mean or max's yeah. crew and um that was awesome during that time they had an open call for it was a cattle call the biggest call for beyonce's first tour wow we're looking for one dude one dude there was a like cattle call? a thousand guys that showed up for this for this job and um I remember I'm on, uh, you know, rehearsing for You Got Serve and we're doing all this stuff and I show up and I had met Solange before on, on a video shoot mm. and I came in and I, you know, danced, did my thing and I left, you know, not thinking anything of it and we get back to set and at the time, you know, there's no Asians in the industry, by the way, so it's like me and two other fellas, really, and I'm on set and this guy, Harry, who's the other Asian and he comes to me, he's like, yo, I think Beyonce's looking for you. I'm like, what? And they're like, yo, I just, what? I was like, I just, he was like, I just went into uh rehearsal and I walked in and they said, you're not him. 
and I left. Oh my <laughs> God. And and you're the only other Asian guy I could think of. Wow. And so I was like, oh shit, well word. I'll let me see what's up. So I walk into rehearsal and I turn around and Beyonce runs to me. She's like, it's him, it's him. No. Oh no fucking way. Right. So this is her first first live show as a solo artist. And everything for her first tour and stuff like that. What so, was that like? Dude, I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. Goosebumps flaring right now. Flaring. The little hair on his hands is standing all the way up. It was nuts. That was like, that was that next defining moment where I was like, out of everybody that just showed up at this audition, I was him. I was the one. And so they put me behind her and I was her partner and I was her baby boy. And so I did all this stuff with her. And what was, what was that like working fuck? with her? It was, dude. It was unbelievable. Going I mean, from Chris Stokes to going from Chris Beyonce. Stokes to working with you know, you know, at the time this dude named Alan, he was her tour manager, and we had Kim, who was the road manager, and we had all these people involved. And you know, Frank Gatson was the choreographer, and he's the one that like you know put everything together. It was Lavelle and the same dude Fly who was on the first commercial shoot on Pepsi. He was dancing for her. Wow. So it was all this stuff and like the guy Tyrell who we did beat uh 2K together. We danced we were roommates on tour. He wow. was doing Beyonce. So I mean it was like family family all together. And I just remember thinking like man this is this is the magic of this industry. Like I'm here. I get to follow my dreams. I get to follow my passion and I'm the Asian kid with braids dancing <laughs> Grinding on Beyonce for Baby Boy. Yo, you know what I mean? What the fuck? So I'm doing, literally, it's nuts because Tyrell and I are both, and Fly, we're all shooting this movie, You Got Served. So we're shooting all day, 10-hour <laughs> days, and then leave that to go do eight-hour rehearsals and then go wow. home and sleep for a couple hours wow. and then back again. And oh. this was like what we were doing for like a month or so. Groovy. And we finished up this show and we finished up the movie and stuff like that. Then we get ready for uh, some tour stuff. And I'm depressed. Wow. I'm dark. Why? Why? Super dark. And I couldn't figure it out till much later. But I remember at that time, I was trying to go back home and see my daughter. And I, uh, I wasn't able to spend time with her or see her. And I started to understand later on in life. But for that time period, I realized that my happiness wasn't coming from the work. It was coming from a lack of family. I wasn't really wow. talking to my parents still. You know what I mean? I, I, I was alone in LA. I didn't have, I had friends, you but I didn't have family. You were living the dream, but like that wasn't That's the dream. dream. It wasn't the dream. <laughs> right? So I go on the road with, with, with B and we finish all this stuff up and I'm back and forth to Colorado. And, you know, at this time, you know, now this is about a year later or so. India and Max break up. And and during this time, I'm, you know, breaks or whatever. I'm trying to still go home, see Taya, you know, whatever I can. And not for them thinking I'm trying to, like, you know, infiltrate every moment that I got. But just for me to see, like, yeah. come home and see if I can at least, yeah. you know, get a get a hang time or whatever. You brought something into this world, though. So, and you knew the importance of that. Like to you, you didn't have that. But at the time, I didn't. I just it was a it was Got just it. a natural thing. Word. It wasn't. I it was, was a want. I wasn't you consciously understanding what I was yeah. doing. I just knew that I was Got gravitated it. towards word that. word. And so I remember it was like that summer. It was Father's Day, and she was getting ready to turn three. <coughs> right. So it's two years later now, and I come home Father's Day, and I'm 
her her and Max have broken up and we're you know, I'm spending time with her at daycare. Every time I come back home, I pick her up from daycare, spend a couple hours at daycare with her, and then she go and spend time with the family again. And that was kind of my way of like staying in the pocket, yeah. but not doing too much and not doing too little. But that's all I could do at the time, and that's all I really knew how to do at the time. And I remember like uh, she she had no idea what was happening at the time, but she Your came daughter. in, yeah, Taya. She came in and gave me a, a tea with a bunch of stars for Father's Day. And she said, happy Father's Day, Daddy. I love you. And ran off out into, you know, the playground to have fun. And I stood there and I fell to my, I literally like fell to the ground crying like no a way. kid, like just bawling. And, and, and one of the teachers there, she was like, I've heard of this, but I've never seen a, a parent turn into a father. And this is that moment for, for most mothers during birth, yeah. you know, they deal with it. And a lot of fathers that happens when they see him. But like for me, that was my moment where I knew my life was different. All the tours, all the other shit that I did, that I dealt with, that I went through that moment at Madison Square Garden, that moment booking Beyonce. You know what I mean? All these times that I thought those were my moments of life. That was it. You know what I mean? Yeah, Looking yeah. up and having that feel, yeah. that moment was the moment that changed my life. You know what I mean? And so I got to go back to LA, you know, have a conversation. Can you take a moment? <laughs> yeah, man, it's crazy. You know it's wild, like you explained that and I just like saw it happen in front of me, dog, and it like hit me. That's fucking so beautiful, man. Like, fuck. It's crazy that they, like, they, like, I just felt, I like, the only way I can explain is I felt what it was like for you to fall. Yeah. For me. Yeah. That shit was, you know. And it, it, it for me. Hold on, I need to come here, dog. <laughs> it, it shows that what you think you want in life Sometimes you, you have no fucking idea what that even means. Your dream and your aspirations and what you think will make you happy, you may not even be conscious of what that can be. Yeah. And it just puts you on your ass. To th- I mean, you, you couldn't be in a more successful place career-wise. And so young. That combines your career your passion, your identity. No, this is three years from starting dancing. Everything culminated. I'm like, 20 years old right now. 20 years old. Five years. You're at the top touring the world with Beyonce, and you're not happy inside. And then the one thing that brings that to you is your daughter. Yeah. To you. Like that simple moment. It's. Yeah. And, and, and for me, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, when, when, I, when I really, really talk about it, when I think about it, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it was all a lot of buildup that I didn't necessarily understand what was happening until it happened. Yeah. You know, the moments of me going back home and spending yeah. time with her or even the fact that we broke up and we're still friends and the fact that she, yeah, that she was pushing me to come out of pursue my dreams and my passion and who I was and knowing that yeah, and giving me that, so real, giving me that opportunity and not holding me back. You know what I mean? And then also to be come home and, you know, to spend those little times and those little moments for, from daycare on those so many different days, 
realizing that those moments were the ones that built up the idea that she could say, I love you, daddy, and hand me this Father's Day present. And and her not even realizing, you know, on both ends, that's a subconscious thing that I got to put in there by being there as I I was. Not every day and not every moment, Mm -hmm. but the little time that I did and, and... But in your mind, you were there on autopilot. Yeah. But for her as well, because that's, you know, at that age, at that very. And you couldn't FaceTime back then. No face. Yeah, there was it's none not of like that. I'm stuff. Seeing this was, like as much as daddy wants to see me, you can see me on the road. Yeah. Like you have to physically fucking be there. Yeah. And for a traveling dancer, like that's not going to happen if, if you're if you have a career. Yeah. So, I mean, it basically was the beginning of the beginning. You know what I mean? I got to uh, to start doing stuff in. So that happened and, uh, <coughs> you know, it was back and forth a lot. And so getting ready, uh, getting ready to turn 21, uh, I got a phone call. So in high school, I, I was asked to write down like my goals and, you know, top 10 goals of life and stuff like that. What, what I wanted to do. And already I had pretty much knocked off everything. I did Madison Square Garden, 100,000 with Beyonce, wow. Kings and Queens, traveled the world. You know what I mean? Like I had already 20 years old smashing it, right? One of the ones that I wanted to knock off was Dance for Usher. Mm. And so at this time, Usher came out with uh, Yeah, <laughs> the biggest fucking song of I mean, huge, songs huge. and Confessions. Oh, yeah. Which <laughs> album was un- un- you know, yeah, the fucking I mean, album. Yeah, defining. And so, you know, from working with Fly, from working with, you know, a lot of the other people that I've been able to work with, Fly and Todd are the creators of Usher pretty much. I mean, Todd and <laughs> what they did and how they trained him, that he they were their his guru. You know what I mean? Like if there was no Todd Sams and, and Fly, there was no Usher. Yeah. There were choreographers that were around before that. Frank Gatson was one of them. There were people that were there, but there would be no Usher without <coughs> Fly and motherfucking Todd Sams. Wow. So I remember I get a call from Fly and he's like, hey, dog. Uh, you want to rock with Usher? And I was like, "What?" And he was like, "Yo, I called, I called two other dudes. They both turned me down because they had wow." Other, and, and at this time, you gotta understand, like a lot of the guys that they asked, they wanted to be choreographers. They didn't want to be backup dancers. Wow. They wanted more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. were already seasoned in the game. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, "I'm calling you. You're next on my list." Damn! You, imagine you want, if one of them said yes. You oh, want to do? You want to do this? And I was like. Yeah. 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 So I so from there I jumped on confessions. Wow. And I got to do fucking a lot of shit with them. There was a falling out, not a falling out, but just a uh a a job thing. Basically Fly and Tide weren't dancing on the tour. They brought in the other dancers, so that's that's where me and this other guy Rio came in. And then, you know, partway through it all, they came back on and so Rio and I got bumped, so th- we got to do most of this, a lot of wow. the tour. But and that's that's just how the business is. is. The you know what I mean? Yeah. And in my opinion, if I was Usher, I would want Fly and Todd right next mm-hmm. to me anyway. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But so I I, I I danced for Usher for a uh, a good long, good long stint, and came off the road from there. And uh, a, a young cat that was getting down for the first time named Chris Brown <laughs> arose. <laughs> and so 
a rose. <laughs> a rose. And so. And started fucking running, dog. And so I, I jumped on with Chris Brown. We did uh, the, the music video. He had Run It, which was his first single. And then I jumped on. We did Give Me That. Mm. Which was his second single, and I, I jumped on. We did that video. Oh, he came out boom! And uh, he did a bunch of he did a bunch of stuff for that album, uh, like uh, uh, what's it called, House of Blues tours and stuff like that. Mm. And um, then I jumped on on He's the big tours, and we did all the stadiums. We did world tours. I was How was it for five and a half years? From there, five and with, a half years. Five, five years. and a half years with, with Chris. <laughs> let me let me ask you this, because you, you saw young Chris then. And this motherfucker is like everything aside. This motherfucker is an incredible dancer. Like it's all, it's it's sinister. Let me stop right how there. Good. All all aside from everything, he's the most talented motherfucker on the planet. Not just dance, not just rapping, not just singing. Graffiti, basketball. Yeah, like literally. Yes. There's people that can like see something and do it. <laughs> A lot of times, people are like jack of all trades, master of none. He's like jack of all trades, master of all. Wow. Like he's. Not just okay at everything. He's fucking proficiently amazing at everything wow. that he does. And it's scary. I believe that. It's scary because I feel like I personally, I've been able to work with the best of all, of every genre for everything. Like I've been able to be around everything great in this art world. And he's one of the motherfuckers that unfortunately with everything that's happened in his life yeah, will never get recognized as that. But that's life. But... He is, in my mind, the all-around greatest artist, most talented motherfucker there is. The crazy wow. thing is, is so that, fucking talented. It's crazy how much talent that. But but ima- imagine the wildness of this dog. When you're in front of the lens, right? It becomes the perception of what all that art is. Yeah, you could be the best ever, but when life hits and and the lens follows you everywhere, all eyes are on you, regardless of your talent. Normal people can't judge, like, don't judge you based on your skill set. Normal people judge yeah. you based on on events, right? And it's so fucking beautiful that, like, like dog, like, you look at a cat like that, and especially as young as he was and everything he's done, like, his trajectory, like, if we look at it idealistically, his trajectory was Michael in my eyes. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. Right? But... Regardless of, of, of anybody even putting weight on trajectory or not, like who the fuck are we? The the beauty of that matter is like this dude is like literally one of the most talented human beings ever to fuck. Like it, life happens, dog. Nobody's story is just like you have potential, you maximize it infinitely, and nothing will stop you. Yeah. Right? What was it like dancing with Chris like throughout that period? Like, what was it? Because, like, it's crazy because you think of it this way, too, is that he was one of those artists that dance was a very big part of oh, his yeah. of his being, right? So you know damn well him and his dancers are spending a lot of fucking time together. Like, there's a camaraderie in dance as well. I mean, the fun part for a lot of us that was with them, we were, like, his older brothers. We were, the, you know, his, his first time touring the world. It was our X amount of time. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, we'd already been seasoned. You were the, the big game. homies. We'd been done it. The, the the scary part was no other artist 
ever made you feel like you had to work that much harder <laughs> you ain't never want to get outshined by my you know what i mean Yo, you were you were a professional real. dancer to be a professional you don't want to get outshined by the <laughs> wow, you know what i mean on real. just dance this this kid he, he said i'm gonna body you this kid could dance so dope he would come in he come in and have ideas for choreography this you know what i mean yeah like he'd be like yo this is the type of set i want to you know wow. it, that mentality was just so different so it was like he stepped all of our games up mm. you know what i mean we would come in coming to rehearsals and all mess around and then next thing you know he'd be doing you know double twists and backflips and shit like, you're like oh man but that was that was the best part it pushed us all and, and you know through everything i mean i don't you know i don't want to speak on on his personal life and stuff yeah. like that but it doesn't matter the, the reality was like watching somebody go from top of the world to literally everybody turning their back on him and i'm not condoning anything that he did yeah. in that time period. It happened, dog. It's such but his life. when you're 18 years old and the girl you're seeing is 19 and you are on top of the world yeah. financially and nobody can tell you no, like it's a different... And, and, I, and I say this not condoning anything that he did. No, but it's but a I'm saying it's world, a different bro. world that you live in that you have... And, and when the world turns their back on you, Every single like artist friend, every single work friend turns their back on that moment, and the next thing you know, we're sitting there and we can't do a tour in the United States because nobody will come, and we're only touring overseas and in South America. You know what I mean for two years, type shit. Like yeah, you know I get and that's it. Something that, and that's something you were affected by intimately. I mean, like you went through it work, with him. You work. The thing is, <coughs> is this like. When you're with somebody every day for that long, you get to know somebody. Yeah. And you get to see their pain, your sufferings. And regardless of how people hold their shit in and won't talk about it or they will talk about it, when you're with somebody that long, you get, you get to know them. Yeah. And, you know, anytime that you are close to somebody and you see them go through stuff, it's tough. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. You nobody. know what I mean? Like, nobody wants to go through life alone. No. And nobody ever wants to feel like after everything that you've been through and everything you created and to be able to stand on top of the world that to everything that you stand for and all of, all of a sudden everybody turns their back on you it's mm -hmm. a tough that's a tough thing to go through in life and at age of 18 yeah at that you yeah. know you could sit there and think oh well he you know he's 18 he's a superstar imagine what you was like at 18 and the dumb shit you were thinking about and talking about and doing you know, it's just it's just a different world, and and I think everybody in the industry that has had a taste of it or has been around it, they know that it's not the same. Yeah. You know. What well, What was that like for you as a dancer, right, and, and, and as a human being, right? Because, well, as a human being, it's tough because I have a daughter. As a dancer, it's tough because dancers we're still the bottom of the barrel. We're still <laughs> just dancers, so it's not like we're getting treated as superstars and we're dealing with the same shit. So I'm, we're all looking for our next job. We're still all looking for our next way to get through the day, through the week, through the month. You know what I mean? Talk, yeah. talk, talk about that a little bit because it's, it's a weird thing to think about when you're on these massive tours with the you know top artists in the world playing the biggest venues in the world, but feeling still at the bottom of the barrel in this mm. type of industry. What's that kind of... Um, do you have to like check yourself at times? Or oh, what for it, sure. Yeah, what, what's that you like? You check yourself every, 
it's it's one thing to check yourself while on the road because you're on the road. It's hard. Yeah. But it's when you come back to reality, it's real, real quick. Yeah. You start to see, wow, oh, this is not real life. You're on top of the world. Yeah. And you're you back sit in the here world. and you're staying at, you know, nice hotels. You're flying. You're doing what you got to do. You're getting per diem every day. You know what I mean? Like you get money in your pocket. There's you're good. All of a sudden you come home without cash flow stops. All of a sudden you come home and you're walking into sneaker stores and nobody gives a fuck who you are. <laughs> you know, and that yeah, you know, no, sounds funny, but that's bro, real talk. It's crazy to that's, deal no, with that. that, that it's that, a that mentality. Must be kind of a mind, I, like I, a mind I, fuck. I, I used to tell people, and I still Super do. Super mind fuck. But I tell people this. You, I, I had three, three completely separate lives. I live my life at home in Colorado with my daughter. I live my life at home in Los Angeles where I'm just a dancer. And I live my life at home on tour. When I'm with artists living in fucking five-star hotels, mm-hmm. doing private tours of the Louvre and going to see Steve Irwin's daughter and getting private <laughs> tours of, uh, uh, you know, the zoo with <laughs> Steve Irwin's daughter and getting to hold all the, you know, like Insane. taking to places and giving you free shit. You know what I mean? And so it's three completely and, different lives that you yeah. have to live and mentally you have to know that. If you're not and strong you have to enough, jump bro, back that'll break the fuck all out of you. And the hard part is that it bleeds together sometimes. Oh. And especially when you're like trying to keep up with the friends and family in LA and friends and family back home and you're trying to raise a daughter mm-hmm. and then you're trying to live this lifestyle wow. as well. You know, there's a lot of mistakes that are made and there's a lot of things that uh, you do that may not necessarily be to par with everybody's lifestyle where yeah. each pocket of them live in. You could... You know what I mean? Some people might be back home and be like, J.D., why are you wilding out all the time? You know what I mean? It's like, I'm on tour. Why, you know, on tour, why are you sitting at home and not coming out of the club? <coughs> I'm FaceTiming my daughter. You know what I mean? It's mm. like, it, it, there's all these pockets that you got to you gotta figure out where you fit in, and it doesn't always work out the way you want it, but at the same time, you know, if you want it all, you got to do it all. How do Absolutely. You, how, how do you keep yourself in, through all that and how competitive dance is? You know, we were talking about this before the show that, I mean, just to compete, you have to be great because there's so many great people. So, like, just to the starting point is, like, you have to be great. Yeah. The, um, I think the beautiful part for that time period, now it's a little different. Uh, now it's a lot of different. But at that time period, it's almost like a secret society. Mm. Once you are in, you are in. It's like relationship built. Once you were in and you were, like, one of them motherfuckers, you were one of them motherfuckers. Wow. So, did you, you never felt like... You had to like really kind of still outperform or, or, or I mean, I only had yourself, to outperform my, my peers. Okay. I didn't have to outperform the up and comings. Okay. I, and, and that's just my mentality. Yeah. Not everybody's. But my mentality was for the motherfuckers that I looked up to and that I was considered, I considered my friends and my peers that I worked with. I wanted to do better than them. I was never worried about an up and coming little kid. I wanted to make sure that the people that I respected in the industry and that I like dancing with and that I like looking up to. And I was like, yo, they're dope. I always wanted to make sure that they said the same thing about me. Wild. The new, the new kids that came up until you were put in that circle, I didn't give two shits about because the reality is you weren't taking my job. (coughs) You know what I mean? And and at that time period, that was the mentality then because there was no, there was no YouTube. There was no, uh, Facebook. Yeah. Well, there was Facebook, but there was no YouTube. There was no Instagram. There was no social media of that sort. The so it was, was still the, the secret yeah. society was the secret society of if you were in, you're in. 
just a, it was just a different time period for that. How how like how how was that experience for you? And and now that we've touched on these like three compartments of worlds, how was that? How how has that been for you up until like to now? Because like your daughter's growing, like your career's going. What what are those moments like? Is it always robust? Is it always no. like there's something like what what's that fight like? Because you're fighting like the the to, to simplify it, I gotta fucking like take myself on a story every now and then. But to simplify it, how was you're constantly fighting? You're fighting yourself. You're fighting your ambitions. You're fighting for your family, and you're fighting to live. How like how has that fight been? So the 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 interesting part about like, and I think this is with any artist is waves of life and a lot of people they enjoy that like nine to five life of you know everything kind of stands still you know there's no waves to rock the boat it's just easy every second of the month you know you get the fucking check you gotta pay this you do this with your friends you do this with your family when you're in the art world of any sort and with a dancer you get the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Mm. And we put our, our passion and we, we wear our heart on our sleeves. And when we do these great jobs, we do them and we're at the top of the world and we spend time with our family. It's the best times of our lives. But then when that job stops and when we're still hustling, we go through these emotional waves of up mm. and downs. And that's one of the things that I know is what I love about it is that I can go through the highest the highs and the lowest lows. I'd rather live my life saying I could let my heart break bigger than anybody else so I can have the most love and mm. have the most feelings in life. Because Fuck. if you sit in this... The like sacrifice. Very, if you sit at the, the... Sacrifice, exactly. If you sit at very small wavelengths, you're only going to get so much. You know what I mean? The more that you give, the more you're willing to sacrifice, the more mm. that you're willing to like go through it all. And those three lifestyles that I have is, you know, L.A. is that middle ground for me. L.A. is that easy concept. The jungle is the middle ground. I, That's the wildest part. I stay, L.A. is easy, you know? Yeah. Going on tour, coming back from tour, spend time with my family, going, coming back. That's the, that's the ups and the downs. Mm. You know what I mean? And when I'm on tour, I'm away from my family. When I'm with my family, I'm, all, I'm not on the road. Yeah. So those are my, my big ups and downs. L.A. is that middle ground. And... You know, it's <clears throat> it's it's not easy. You know, mentally, more than anything, the industry is is not made for somebody who can't close their eyes and wake up and say, "I'm okay, we're where I am." You know what I mean? If you can't do that, this industry, this world wow. is not for you. Because the, the the hardest part about like for real, so real. It's so real. You know what I mean? Because you get told no's, you get told you can't, you go through the best times of your life, you go through the worst times of your life, but you got to wake up in the morning and start over and say, yo, I'm here, I'm here. You know what I mean? If you can't do that, this industry is not for you. You got you to gotta make sure that you can wake up every day and take another step and be able to be here. And so a lot of times, like for me, you know, I love going back home, spending time with my daughter and being, a, but then when I'm away from this too long, I'm all 
I'm like, man, I need to be back in the yeah. middle of the grind and the hustle. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm on the road and I'm doing all that stuff, and I'm like, man, I need to just see my girl. I just need to go home. I just need to be around my family. You know what I mean? And it's like those are my Fuck. steps that every day I need to know that I'm like working and taking steps that I can wake up and say I'm good regardless of wherever I am and how I'm doing it. You know what I mean? And then also to be in LA and not be around my daughter and not be on the road and not working and maybe be two or three months and not have a job and be like, yo, I don't have a job. I can't just go home and sit on my ass right. and be with her right. and yeah. I can't go on the road because I don't have a job <laughs> and I got to wake up in the morning and figure out like what I'm going to do tomorrow. You know what I mean? How am I going to fucking survive with the fuck my next job? So it's like all those things you have to like, you know, wake up next day and be like, yo, I got this, but every single one with each, which within each one of those three pockets that I live, it has its own up and downs. Mm. You know what I mean? And so those up and downs com- combined with the life yeah. of the full up and downs, it gives it color. It gives it everything else that makes my life beautiful. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't trade that for a nine to five. Not to, not to knock on anybody has a nine to five, but not, not, not on road, that, man. not on that type of life. Yeah, you know, absolutely. What I, mean? I love the I love the beauty of of all the different colors that that is part of my life. You know what I mean? Absolutely. In this dancing world, I want to kind of touch on like in every like physical sport, craft, whatever. Age is not on anybody's side. <laughs> yeah. You start getting older; those young cats start having their own inner circles. Oh yeah, those young cats start becoming like really dope, and and the the nature of the beast that you're in, and also um, being the dancer that you you're a dancer, dog. Like you just dancing, dancing solidified the beginning of who J D McElroy was, right? Yeah. And dancing is your livelihood, but getting older, like sometimes it becomes the skill set you you can't compete. Sometimes it becomes like the whole what people are looking for changes, right? It's like gymnastics, like it used to be art and form and all that. Now these chickens are doing fucking like quadruple eight times spins and fucking body contortions. But like even with athletes, right? Like you're an athlete, you, you want your whole life, like you expect to be in the NFL for fucking 15 years and become a household name. But like when you really think about it, the average career in, in those sports is like fucking two to five years, if you're lucky. Oh, yeah. And as a dancer, you, you've, you've, had, like, you've been fortunate to have these fucking waves and these color waves and be, work with all these artists and, and, and dance throughout all this time, even though there were down times, like you wouldn't trade that for the world. But as you get older and as it becomes more of like independence, I'm not even asking from the simple as a dancer or what would they no. For you, is that becoming more of a reality now? Like what 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 is that like? Or is it like, you know what, like I'm still out there like talking with the best of them. When I get my next job I'm on the road again. You know what it, it it's interesting because I think for myself, you know, I think a lot of dancers go into this idea of like, oh, dance, choreography, blah, blah, you know what I mean? They want to go in these specific steps. And I think my life has been able to go into uh, many different directions. Mm. And I tell people 
a lot of times I, I feel like I struck gold twice. So the I got golden to, goose. I know, man, and and I'm 33. I'm still I'm still young. I still you're sexy, still gorgeous, dog. I still yeah. got this shit rolling. When are we going to New York together? You know what I mean? Let's go, Brooklyn. But but the reality is is I know I'm getting older, and I know that times are changing and everything's changing. I was able to, on accident, just like dance, fall and stumble into a nonprofit that I got to start, and um. A lot of times we are always looking out for ourselves. And I think dance was that for me. I got to look out for myself. I got to find myself mm. as one aspect of my life in every direction of where it goes. But, you know, through life and, and through growth, we get to choose where we want to go in our lives. And if I can do this for myself and be successful, then I can do this for others. Mm. You know, and I've been able to start a nonprofit and, you know, flourish and we've been able to be great. Hashtag lunchbag. Hashtag uh, lunchbag, what it do. <clears throat> started from three guys that just wanted to do something fun to give back and and we're now Shay Dub. AJ yeah, Relan. Hundred and fifty cities around the world. Where y'all baby. At? What it but, do, baby. But but from that, you know, the biggest the biggest takeaway was I always sat there and people would tell me like, yo, your thirties are going to be the best part of your lives. Everybody and, tells and me I, that. I would, I would look at people and be like, let me tell you what I did in my twenties. Yeah, I feel you. Know you. Know what I, mean? I would genu- I feel genuinely, you. not as a cocky, arrogant. I'd yeah. be like, let me tell you what I did in my twenties. 33, few years, few years into my thirties. And I'm telling you right now, I'm <laughs> already at a different place I'd ever been in my life. Wow. Just being able to, change other people's lives i have a 14 year old daughter now and the fact that i can give her and explain to her what life is beyond she got goosebumps a fucking game beyond a selfish component yeah and living life for myself at such an important time in her life to be able to share that with her and then also to be able to pass on this knowledge and share this with others whether you know and, and and one of the biggest things that we talk about at hashtag a lot of times is it's not just whether we have one follower or a million followers. We have the ability now with social media to influence whoever's watching us. For you know real. what I mean? Yeah. And the fact that we've been able to inspire and influence so many people to want to do good and give back and be a part of this new culture that is giving without receiving. Living you know through what I mean? Giving, Living baby. through giving, baby. Uh, has changed my life. And it no, it, mm. it's made me realize that the direction that I want to go and I can't wait for this for a new chapter, mm. you know what I mean? Because I know that these these next years of my thirties are going to continue to grow, continue, continue <laughs> continuously con- grow continue for sure. Grow into and no, into you know what? It's going to continue to grow into into places that I didn't believe or think it would, just like it has. Yeah. Now. And so, I still right now I'm teaching dance. I'm still dancing. I'm still part of crew. You know what I mean? I get down and I love it. Do I believe I'm going to go on tour with? Justin Bieber, probably not. Am I okay with that? A hundred percent, yes. Wow. But at the same time, like, dance is always gonna be me. I'm always gonna be that. That's a marriage that'll never end. You know what I mean? We'll dance go through is our good times. We're always gonna have bad times. But I guarantee you, when I'm ninety years old and some good songs come on, I'm gonna be the baddest motherfucker on the dance floor. You know what I mean? Oh, fucking top, dog. But you know, I feel like right now where I am in my life, I'm, I'm slowly starting to find. Like that blue above the cloud. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We all live on earth and we look up 
and we see these clouds and we see the blue <laughs> and we see that stuff. Above the cloud. I feel you, dog. You know what I mean? But it's like, you know, we grow up and we, we live on earth and we see these things and I'm trying to reach for the stars, man. I'm trying to do everything else that's beyond and past that. And I think that like these last, these last four years with hashtag lunchback is giving me an opportunity and another place to grow mm. in a direction that I might not have done it before. Mm. And now that I have this direction, why can't I take it to another direction, you know, years from now and keep continually moving that path. And, and the craziest thing is, <laughs> the craziest thing is if you were to ask me this five years ago, yeah, I would have laughed at you and been like, I ain't started a nonprofit. You know what I mean? I'm dancing. I'm doing this. You were, he was still in New York back then. Though. So, yeah. you know, the fact that where I am now and I'm, you know, still moving and grooving, I'm still dancing. I'm still doing what I love to do. And I'm not also able to do something else that I love to do. Yeah. It just means that like, we gotta, we gotta <coughs> keep it pushing. There's balance now. There's balance now. You know, four years from now, my daughter's going to be in college. I get to start all over. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) For real. So, you know, I think, you know, through dance, I mean, dance has just always been a vessel. Mm, And I didn't realize that until until, until now. But for a long time, I thought dance was me and I was dance. And that that's the reality. But. It's been it's been a stepping stone for me to build this lifestyle and build like everything that I love, and then also to be it's able to. It's a piece of you. It's a piece of me, but man. It doesn't define you. Yeah, and so that's I think moving into hashtag, and you were talking about like the next step. You know, the, one of the, the hardest parts was letting go of that identity of being a dancer, and now it's like coming into terms of that. That's not who I am. That's just a part of me. It's what you did. Yeah. And so now it's like hashtag is same thing. It's, hashtag it doesn't define me either. It's just no. another part of me. But it, 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 these are all pieces of you, like every choice that you've made. And in your, in your world, everything that you've fallen into and felt an attachment for, that it, like it's, it's crazy how you felt an attachment. These pieces gave you an identity, right? And it, it's constantly building because like when we think about it, like, What's one of the most beautiful things about life is to find out what who I am means to us. Fuck anybody else. A lot of us go through life having who I am or who am I clouded by the fact that we're like looking at it through a reflection of somebody else's eyes, which there can never be a reflection from eyes that aren't yours in front of a fucking mirror. Yeah. Right? And it, it, and it carries a big weight. Right? And we're all searching. And it's beautiful to see that through your life, you've been able to like go through such turmoil internally, externally, and such excitement and achievement and accomplishment. And it's always been a fight. Like none of that defines us. None of that really carries all that weight, as opposed to like really making that moment matter more or or have more effect. And I want to parlay that into this because I feel like this it's such a gorgeous moment that was reached. If there was something that you could look back, like being, because you're literally in the beginning stages of your golden years and your gold, like, dog, you're a golden goose. So, like, every day is a fucking golden scenario, yeah. right? Straight up. If there was something that this you now, being 33 years old, could just go back and tell your child self. I don't like 
let, I don't even we don't even need to define the age era or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you were to look back and like write a post-it note and leave it in the bathroom of your old crib, wherever it was, what would that say to John David? You're right on time. <laughs> Done. Mama! Are we doing this? <laughs> yeah. We what, 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 made I, it! Done. No, I'm ending there.